Welcome to Panel Up, your monthly pop culture panel. I'm John Campbell. And I am Mike Gergoni. Oh, Gergoni, it's the dog days of summer, as they say. And who did let those dogs out? Did we ever answer that question, John? You know, it's still, I think, one of history's great unsolved mysteries. Yeah, it's right up there with uh, how Archimedes survived the invasion of Syracuse. But we'll get to that. <laughs> the, we may have some answers to that, and it might involve a certain archaeologist. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, we're 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 taking our break from the 1970s uh, to catch up on what's happening in pop culture now, as we do uh, once a month here in the 1960s. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 both forward and backward for us, which is kind of what this movie is. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, we're we're gonna have our review of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Uh, but first, uh, let's talk about some things right now that, uh, you know, what's got you excited, Gurgani? As always, <sighs> we start with here. What, what's, you know. Yeah, let's, let's a state of the pop culture, right? Uh, yeah. And that's the kind of the issue this week, right? Is there's just, we're in the middle of summer. There's a lot of stuff being announced. And there's a lot of stuff being leaked. There's a lot of stuff being shown off as just like, hey, this stuff's around the corner. And on top of all of that, we have a possible Actors Guild strike happening <laughs> as we record. <laughs> as we're recording this, uh, as we're recording this, it's, it, it's looking imminent. We're probably in an Actors strike as you're watching or listening to this. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, so uh, for all we know, all of the stuff we're about to talk about in terms of what we're excited for is about to come to a screeching halt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird time. It, it's, you know, and, and the thing about it, I was thinking about this is, you know, we went through the COVID shutdowns of all the movies yeah. and TV and stuff like that. We're, uh, we're now just getting to, I'm never expecting more than like a year or two of film and television at this point. <laughs> and it really does feel like at this point, we're only just now sort of recovering from the big hiccup that COVID caused, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've seen, the, we're, we're still getting releases from stuff that was delayed because of COVID. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the movie we're talking about this week was supposed to come out last year. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a bunch of, yeah, everything, we're still on kind of what's we're supposed to be last year's blockbusters. And now... We may not have next year's blockbusters, so it's it's a whole it's a whole thing. Um, yeah. You know, every TV show is on pause, uh, so whatever's airing now is stuff that was already done. Mm -hmm. And so. we have a some stuff in the can because, like, talking about stuff we're excited for. Uh, the day we record this, so yesterday, if you're listening to it, the day it's released, uh, we got a bevy of new trailers uh, that have. Piqued yep. my interest, certainly. Uh, another Lucasfilm franchise. It's a little thing. You might have heard of it called Star Wars. Uh, released a trailer for the new Ahsoka show coming to Disney+. And yeah, maybe I've watched it a dozen times already. Uh, because it really does look like this is just going to be Star Wars Rebels Season 5. And I couldn't be happier about that. Do you see what it's like? Because I think one of the things we've talked about that has worked so well about those uh the the star wars live action tv shows is their ability to uh appeal to both audiences who are obsessed with continuing these things from the animated and uh people who are just like well oh, i just like them star wars pictures sure people who don't maybe even consider the animated properties like Something they'd even consider watching, which, again, I see as a really narrow view of the property as a whole. But maybe if you're not as a big a fan, like if you don't seek out 
other bits of the property, and that's fine. You can enjoy Star Wars however you want, but the idea that you dismiss a Star Wars thing just because it's an animated show has always, like, frustrated me to no end. Sure, yeah, especially if, I mean, you know, the whole thing is just, like, we just want quality storytelling, whatever format that takes on. But I think the thing that, that that has been so great about what both Favreau and Filoni and the other people who work on those shows have done is they they really do work for both things, and so I, I'm excited. I think all of a sudden, uh, and 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 I think ideally, then maybe that'll drive more people to go look at those animated shows. I would hope so, and especially this. Like I said, it real based on this trailer, it really does look like we're just picking up straight from the end of the fourth season of Rebels. Uh, that show ends with. One of the main characters and Grand Admiral Thrawn getting like jettisoned out into deep space somewhere in the unknown territories of the or the unknown regions of the Star Wars galaxy. And two of our characters, primarily Ahsoka Tano and uh, Sabine Wren, who is the Mandalorian mm-hmm. we see in this trailer, uh, going off to go look for this other character, Ezra Bridger, uh, who is also seen in this trailer um, as a right. recording. Yes, and I think that, uh, I mean, that also fits, that uh, makes sense based on where we left Ahsoka in The Mandalorian, where we met back up with her. Uh, it was very clear that that was continuing forward. And, and I, yeah, I can't wait to see this. I mean, it looks great. Uh, I, we haven't really had, you know, Mandalorian has had a- aspects of this and certainly Obi-Wan. But, you know, real heavy Jedi, Sith kind of battles and, uh, you know, lightsaber duels and things like that. So I'm excited to see what that looks like on a weekly basis yeah no and obviously there's the kind of uh sad note to it as this is going to be probably the one of the last things we see uh ray stevenson acting in because he passed away recently uh so him being one of the primary antagonists of this show is going to have a bittersweet kind of sense to it and seeing him get to like flex a little bit with his bad guy muscles in this trailer it was just like oh that looks great but oh now i'm sad Ray <laughs> Stevenson is a great actor man and a very underrated punisher in my opinion as well mm-hmm. uh, i really love punisher warzone so uh yeah that that but man i mean the 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 thing about the when people kind of yell about when are we gonna get a new star wars movie i'm all on board to see a new star wars movie but uh I'm not. I'm not at a loss for quality Star Wars content by any stretch of the imagination. So yeah, um, that's kind of yeah. David Tennant returning as the uh, lightsaber building droid who appeared in Clone Wars, which I'm very excited about. Uh, Anything got, that has David Tennant in it is always a good thing. Uh, it's always kind of prickly when you recast people who you have a definitive voice for in your head from a cartoon into live sure. action, and like obviously Ahsoka was the first step with that. Uh, as Rosario Dawson kind of creating this character uh, as a live-action persona as opposed to Ashley Eckstein's uh, performance as Ahsoka in all of the animated shows. Uh, So, But doing that for basically the entire cast of (laughs) uh, Rebels, uh, I'm very curious to see. I think a a lot of these casting choices look really good. Uh, Natasha Liu Bord... Mordizio as Sabine looks great. I think Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I'm not totally sold on her Hera yet, but I know she's a great actor, and so I'm ready to roll into the show and uh, learn to love her take on Hera. 
Well, yeah, it's you know, it is always that translation. And I think your Katie Sackovs of the world are, are, are the rare exception. I do think right. there's certain thing where people get very upset that it's not always that, but it's like, well, that's that's pretty unusual that that would happen. So, yeah, uh, I would really, really love it if we got uh, what's his name back as Kanan, though. Um, oh, Freddie Prince Jr. Freddie Prince Jr. I mean. Spoilers for a show that ended uh, five years ago, but uh, he, his character is dead at the end of that show. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's Star Wars. He was a Jedi. Force ghosts are a thing. And <laughs> we, are getting, nobody. Uh, we are getting Lars Mikkelsen back, though, as uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn in live that's, action. That's the biggie, though, right? Is because we're getting Thrawn as a live action character for the first time ever. And Thrawn yeah. is such a singular point in certain star wars fandoms we talk about on the may the panel be with you show so much about how the comic books especially but the novels as well was all people had for the longest time so in that in that period in the 90s before the prequels came out when heir to the empire was the accepted sequel to return of the jedi and so thrawn was the heir to the empire as it were totally and I, I, I mean, uh, boy, those the Mickelson boys are just taking over Hollywood as the bad guys, aren't they? Because we're going to be talking about his brother Mads in just a little bit here. We can never have them both on screen because it's just too many Mickelsons. It's too much. It's too much Mickelson. <laughs> uh, so that looks good. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, some uh, a photo that Brian Reynolds posted on his Instagram. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, we, despite the fact that the production for this film is probably about to grind to a halt, like we said, uh, we yeah, did get some... It's probably already shut down once again as you're hearing this, so... <laughs> we did get some production photos from the set of Deadpool 3 in which we got to see both Ryan Reynolds, the man himself, uh, back as Deadpool in full costume, but more excitingly, we saw some yellow and blue span- spandex covering the the rippling torso of one Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Dude, it's I I saw I had this thought, and then I saw uh, one of my favorite podcasting comedians, Paul Shear, is a huge nerd uh, talking about. It. He goes, "We've waited twenty three years for this." And people, like, picking apart the details in the suit, like, between the shoulder pads and, like, just the color orientation looking perfect. And the yep. the fucking knuckle sheaths on his gloves, the little As metal bits be. where the claws come out. As it should be. Yeah, it does. Feel, <laughs> and, and this was something I do remember. It was kind of like uh, when they said he was going to come and do Deadpool in the MCU. I think a lot of people were like, well, wait, will they do the costume? Like, because MCU would do the cut. Like, Fox really steered away from it. Mm-hmm. But you're like, MCU has really embraced the look of these characters. And it is things like, it's the same thing where we saw uh, Professor X in Multiverse of Madness. And he looked like the animated series Professor X and his gold yeah. chair that he was sort of, like, inside of. They are giving us the aesthetics of these characters in a way that was... I mean, literally, I remember them talking about when they did the 2000s movie. They're like, oh, we did a a camera test of Hugh in a yellow uniform, and it just looks stupid. And and maybe it did, that that version they made. But it's just this sort of idea about, like, that. no, they just can't. It would never be. That's silly. Uh, well, it was this rejection of the source material, in a way, for a lot of those early 2000s films. I think Spider-Man 
even did this to an extent when you look yeah. at the design of Green Goblin and how they changed that character up. Uh, yeah. And a rejection well, I, of the, the more quote unquote goofy elements of comic books and having a colorful team uh, has like on paper that is silly sounding. Um, and I think, I think, you know, I don't blame those filmmakers. I don't even look at those as a negative. It's like, yeah, we kind of had to walk before, you know, we had to kind of crawl before we walked, right? Like, the thing about it is, like, I don't know, maybe at that time, and I even remember thinking that, I'm like, well, this makes sense. Like, that 2000s costumes where they're all in black with sort of some color accents. You know, because it, it is kind of like, all right, let's 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 spoon feed this to an audience that isn't used to it. Everybody's got crazy powers, but they've got sort of these cool 2000s uniforms and then we've just slowly been kind of peeling back the layers of the movie versions and becoming and embracing the comp you know you've sort of seen this natural evolution of these movies to the mm -hmm. point where you and i were talking about blue beetle coming out that costume is so comics accurate yeah and based on the trailer we've seen like we're gonna be showing off some ted cord stuff too and that's uh, even sillier <laughs> that's what I, yeah so there does seem to be it, it's it's like uh, it's 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 just like they keep pushing it out a little bit more, going like, "Will will audiences, will a general audience handle this? Can they handle this, that, that?" And then eventually, mm -hmm. and now I feel like, of course, I mean, it, you know, there was the the deleted alternate ending of the Wolverine where he opened up the case that had a version of the costume in it. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, they've been sort of. I feel like there's been a, uh, the last couple Wolverine appearances have been like, "Could we put him?" I feel like maybe now we could put him in the costume. And I'm going to be totally honest. I think Deadpool specifically like spearheaded this in a big way yeah. when they just totally embraced the head to toe Merc with a mouth look in that first movie and didn't shy away from it at all. And in fact, you know, uh, to the point of uh, it, do, doing the, they were the first to do the eyes that changed like a comic book drawing. And then of course the Spider-Man design took that further so it does feel like, yes, uh, Deadpool definitely is a huge uh, milestone in comic book filmmaking in terms of just embracing the aesthetics of a character. Yeah. Uh, now, I will say, I love, because this is just comic book fans, right? So many people going, I'm so happy. I can't wait. I've always wanted to see this. And then it wasn't 10 minutes before I saw a guy going, he didn't have sleeves in the comics. <laughs> of course immediately everybody's going i can't believe it this is so great all of our dreams that one guy just going like this small detail is wrong i mean look if i if i'm not gonna say it was my first thought but it was definitely in the first like three thoughts of just like okay but how does the mask look well sure there's that and i think that's that's a fairer question than why does he have sleeves also uh, my when my reaction to that complaint is just like look We've got room to go battle damaged. That's what they're there giving us here. There you they're, go. Yeah. We've got sleeves that we can then tear off mid-fight. That's what we are going to get. That would be very cool. <laughs> but I will say the actual biggest uh, shock to me is the announcement that Jennifer Garner's returning as Electra in this movie. That's, okay, the costume, I kind of, I kind of thought maybe, I'm so glad and filled with joy that that's happening. But the biggest thing is like, what? It's not going to be more than a scene, right? I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think based on the... I don't want to spoil this movie too much for myself because there's been a lot of leaks about what this movie is going to be and well, how I it's going to fit in with everything. 
I think there's I think one of the reasons that like Ryan Reynolds just posted this photo is to get ahead of any leaks of this, right? Sure. But and it's kind of inevitable when you live in an internet age where like you're trying to tap yourself into certain aspects of this culture. Avoiding spoilers becomes very difficult at times, especially on certain communities on Reddit and on Twitter. And so I've had some stuff like people using, uh, I don't, I don't want to say like leaks or whatever, but like, there's definitely like some, uh, thoughts about what is going on in this film floating around the internet. And the idea that we might see a Jennifer Garner Electra or a Ben Affleck as daredevil, uh, yeah, or, that, yeah. Uh, or, or or any number of uh, I've heard characters of from the Fox. Or, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, stuff. I've heard a lot of stuff. Who knows, you know, mm-hmm. um, what that's going to be in what capacity. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing that's fun about the other thing is the Deadpool movies uh, can do that, right? I mean, they they totally. the, the the tone of it can 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 function within that. They can comment on superhero. Uh, continuity logic issues i mean literally you know deadpool goes back in time and shoots ryan reynolds before he can make green lantern in the second movie (laughs) yeah yeah. no the 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 thought being that this movie is going to somehow address the disney acquisition of fox entertainment and the death of the fox marvel universe quote-unquote uh right is one that has been floating around for a while and one that is like kind of cemented by some of the set photos that have leaked out in the last day or two. Um, Specifically, there's the ones that Ryan Reynolds released on his Instagram, but there are others that have also come out uh, uh, surrounding that similar, whatever, wherever it is they're filming um, that leads some people to believe that's like, we're going to directly be addressing the idea that Fox basically had its own Marvel universe and kind of failed utterly to capitalize on that. They really did. I mean, that's it exactly. Like, they, uh, it's so interesting. Fox kind of accidentally did and didn't fully embrace what Sony is trying so fucking hard to do. Right. Because imagine a world in which Fox has the X-Men and the Fantastic Four and, like, Daredevil and a bunch of other associated characters. They could very easily have a superhero universe spun up just by those properties alone. That would have that would have been a lot more cohesive and made a lot more sense and been a lot more appealing than what Sony has, right? Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> trying to turn because those are like marquee characters, obviously. Whereas Sony is trying to turn uh, like side characters into <laughs> their own franchises. I mean, I don't. Did we talk about that Craven the Hunter trailer? Because holy shit. I think we talked about it in passing and is like jokey, but like, yeah, it looks bad. And <laughs> it looks really bad. Like, it looks like a kind of bad we haven't seen from superhero movies in quite a while. I don't know how we can sink deeper than Morbius, but damn it, they're trying. Well, it really did feel like, uh, oh shit, maybe Morbius wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, after watching the Craven the Hunter trailer, I was just like, do I need to? watch morbius and reevaluate my life and tastes no that can't be right <laughs> no yeah no it had to become like it's just like god we shouldn't have spent all that energy begging on morbius we're gonna have nothing to thank for this jesus christ yeah you want to uh, know why they called me the rhino Ugh. oh boy oh i mean that's the thing is like i'm i'm watching that trailer and going 
God, I hate all this Craven stuff. And then that happens. I'm going, no, never mind. This is now the part I'm angry at that. Are you kidding me? And the rhino skin turning you know, turning his skin to rhino hide. Oh, for fuck's sake. Come on, man. Yeah, but if you get lion blood in your blood, you get lion powers, John. This oh, is how my it God. Works. That, that, like, right off the bat, you're like, oh, God, no. Um, we probably have to talk about that movie, though. I just feel like. Uh, sure. I want, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not thrilled about it, but it does feel like it's good. Con- it feels like it'd be irresponsible on our part not to do it. I feel like you're threatening me with like clockwork orange levels of like <laughs> ultra violence at this point, but we'll say that we'll have to get because uh, we had him on the Morbius one we did. We'll have to get Brendan Jones, who is enraged by good comic book movies sometimes. <laughs> Brendan Jones is the guy who will bring up the sleeves. I'll just say that. I haven't sure, talked okay. about that photo as of yet, but I guarantee you he'll have an issue with those sleeves. Look, and and he, weird, he'll have some problem with some, there's not enough blue in some part of it or something. And Hugh Jackman is a foot too tall. We all know these oh, things. I mean, he's, believe me, that's always comes up because great, great actor, great in the part, way too tall. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, totally fair. It's um, like, yeah. but, but no, but so, yes. Uh, we, lots of lots of ups and downs there in the in the space of though now it really is becoming there is Marvel and then there is real shit Marvel if it's not the Sony Animation Studios which is kind of even its own thing. Yeah, I mean, and all they've really got going for them is the Across the Spider Verse movies at this point. I'd be curious yeah. to see them do something else. Uh, they Spider Man Noir show isn't that? There's a well, I always thought that the TV stuff was at Marvel. That's why they're doing freshman year, which is another thing that's been delayed forever. But Oh, well, yeah, I mean, everything's been delayed forever. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man Noir. Oh, good Lord. Sony is making a Spider-Man Noir live action series. With Nicolas Cage? Uh, no, no, uh, nothing about that. I don't know. Okay. They're also making a Silk TV show. Good Lord. Stop. Just stop. <laughs> Silk Silk is another one of those characters that like in the absence of a mainline Spider-Man, I don't know what that show looks like. Correct. That's exactly the thing, right? Where you're just going like, but all of this just feels like, I don't know. But they did it with Venom, so I don't fucking know anymore. Um, uh, and all of this just feels real desperate to me. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> speaking of desperate, uh, you saw the Wonka trailer? Oh, good lord. What? <laughs> yeah. I mean, other than Hugh Grant as an Oompa Loompa, uh, that's all I need in my life. That's so bizarre. That's just one of those things that's like, I, I just have to see it for that, because in what world? Um, no, the Wonka trailer... Well, Wonka in general... Like, it, 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 I, keep, I keep trying to figure out where's the bridge too far for me. <laughs> I love it's that, like, like, the first... Th- Two thirds of that sentence was you just like starting a thought, ellipses yeah. into I don't know what to say about this. Start another thought, ellipses into I don't know what to yeah. say about this. <laughs> well, because there is something about it that's like it's it's exactly what you think it is. At the same time, it's just like what, what this is real. <laughs> like it feels like a thing. It feels like a like an SNL sketch that they'd be like, finally, the origin story of Willy Wonka. And you're like, no, it's yeah. actually coming out, and a studio spent hundreds of millions of dollars on it. Yeah, and Timothy Chalamet is there. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I gotta say too, it's just like uh, I love Timothy Chalamet, and I think one of the things I really like about him is he is sort of the indie art house darling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so guys like me and 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 you know all the sort of cinema snobs love him. So it is, and then he goes and does a big studio franchise, and it's Dune. You're like, oh well, this is like what the art house kind of franchise is, and then it's like, oh, now I'm gonna take an even bigger thing, and it's fucking Wonka. Man, I hope I, I hope the house that's built him is gorgeous. Um, <laughs> I just, it's just one of those things where I, look, I I always I, I don't want to assume anyone is making anything with bad intentions, of course, but it just seems like when these filmmakers and Chalamet are talking about like, well, we've always wondered about the deep reaches of Willy Wonka, and it's always been a story we've wanted to tell. And just like, I just don't, I'm sorry, I don't think that's true. Who's the we in this scenario, and how far back were the checks backdated? Yeah, <laughs> I, exactly. I mean, it, it feels very similar to me to that Robert Downey Jr. Doolittle movie, where it's just like, mm. no, these, it's the thing that the, that the that the industry has been built on when the IP stretches too far where it's just like it, literally anything anyone might know that might have any even like five person fan base is on the table now for a blockbuster movie there's this there's this attitude people talk about IP but it's like it goes beyond that now it is just like it is always safer in their mind to start with any kind of recognizability and what that leads to is stuff like I really could see this going down the Doolittle path, where it's just like absolutely nobody goes because mm-hmm. who could possibly get who is it for? Who are the die? I love I love the original Gene Wilder movie. I've mm-hmm. seen that movie a million. That was like a childhood favorite of mine. I love that movie. It is so weird. It is so of its time. It is such a perfect Gene Wilder role. Um, the Burton movie is not one of my, f- and I'm a huge Burton fan, but that's real low on my list of Burton films. I've never seen the Burton film. I wouldn't say there's any reason. I don't think it's like god awful, but it's just like okay, yeah. I it saw was, it when it came out. It was one and of like those said, films that, when it was coming out, I was like, no, I'm still good with the original. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, and that's kind of that's kind of how I feel about it too. And I, so it just that's the thing about this is it just feels like it's a movie for no one. It really is to me when I look at a trailer like this, it really does feel like the emptiness of Hollywood, the the cynical just uh I don't know, man, Wonka. That's a thing that people know. Didn't you ever want to know like how he made his first chocolate, John? No. <laughs> That's it exactly too. Uh, the other thing you get, I get tired of, and it, the bridge too far for me before was the Nurse Ratched show on mm. Netflix. Where it's like the origin of the villainous nurse from One Flew Over a Cuckoo's Nest. Just like, n- not everybody needs a fucking origin, man. Like, it's just... right. But as opposed to like that is the perfect counter. Well, and that show specifically, I believe, is kind of a reaction to the Hannibal show, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and Hannibal is such a perfect example of something where they took a lot of disparate elements of a very recognizable character and solidified yeah. it into the canon as it was sort of presented in the in the books that that character originated from and in a way that yeah. the movies had never, like, coalesced into a singular uh, that, ongoing continuity. Yeah. 
And that was made by a guy who goes, I always, I read these books and I was always like, why aren't they focusing on this aspect of it? This thing, it is mm-hmm. carving off a piece. The Hannibal show made so much sense and it's such a brilliant show. It's a, it's one of the most beautifully photographed shows. It's disturbing and Speaking awesome. Of Mickelson's. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking Mads Mickelson's amazing. We'll talk about, it. Uh, I have, I have more praise to heap on him in a second, but uh <laughs> Uh, that show really did scream of like, oh yeah, this was always here. If mm-hmm. you just kind of blew the dust off of it, uh, Wonka really feels like we're reaching real far. Yeah, and I feel like the other opposite, the other opposite point to this, to this IP that came out this year that we both love was the Dungeons and Dragons movie, where they really are are like getting at a thing, uh, you know, an aesthetic, right? And but really made with a passion. It's also interesting Hugh Grant's in that too, but it's sort of like, oh, this is really coming at it from a lore that people love, and then we're gonna build, but we're gonna build a good movie on top. Like we're just gonna we're gonna put a good movie around the lore people are familiar with. Well, because what's important about I think the D and D movie and like the Hannibal show and these things that coalesce these IPs in a way that like obviously their influence is undeniable but no one's really done the work to consolidate what makes those things special to everybody until right. the Hannibal show or D&D movie is it's, this idea that people don't necessarily care about the like quote unquote lore of these things. What they want is a single place that can encapsulate what they love about it in a single place, right? Like you don't need pieces of it in a Hannibal prequel that nobody asked for or a <laughs> what, what look at the exact opposite of that within the same franchise. You remember Hannibal Rising? That which was really exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what's so interesting is that movie nobody gave a shit because it doesn't really matter and that was so not what the Hannibal show was. Uh the other the other thing uh um uh, that that I was uh, thinking of uh, that has now just left my brain, which is great for podcasting. Uh, but, uh, uh, but oh, oh but no, what I'm just saying. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. In the realm of fantasy, on that same turn is a movie like Monster Hunter, right? Where it's like you're taking this IP that is tangentially like fantasy, like armored warriors fighting monsters, D and D esque sort of vibe, and then trying to just ring out the money of people who enjoy that IP by slapping the name of it on something that is like vaguely reminiscent, but it's really just an excuse to have Mila Jovovich use a big sword. Well, I mean, that's it exactly is, is, is you still at the end of the day, always with these. And it's one of those things that's like, well, of course, but it's, it's not, of course, unfortunately, because we've seen enough examples like monster hunter. Uh, it's like, you still have to make, you still have to make a movie. Like it's, it's no Mm -hmm. matter what lore is or, or love of, the aesthetics of something might get people through the door. The recognizability doesn't matter if you don't make something that actually impacts people in some way. Uh, I think, I think a movie that, that I know we have different opinions of, but I think you could recognize his weaknesses still is the Warcraft movie, which to me is so indebted to lore, but really kind of failed to, and we saw this with just a general audience to make people like me who was game to watch a Warcraft movie and get invested. But I just kept going, I don't care about it. They didn't, they didn't tell me the human story. It doesn't have to actually be about humans. And I don't, don't come at me. The the person's story. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing is like, and that's just true about genre fiction in general. Ultimately, everything has to be about people. 
you can't all the world building has to lift up the characters right it always has to be otherwise uh it, it leads to things where i just go like oh that was cool right no and i think one of the larger weaknesses of the warcraft movie is it sacrifices i mean i think it's too long first off and b it like moves focus away from a very human story in the form or for the sake of well, really dumping gets... recognizable lore bits into the movie for people That's... who were engaged with the game and not just coming to it for this movie. It was no one's story was kind of my problem with it, yeah. right? Like it just sort of is like, man, this is really giving me this giant world. But the problem is they introduce like 20 main characters in the first couple minutes of the movie and so i just go wait 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 what is my grounding it's it's it it forces me to look at things on a macro level and that's just hard to engage with yeah no exactly um is engagement with ip a segue into indiana jones and the dial of destiny i don't mean to like skip over what you've been excited about in pop culture oh no 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 i mean look i i got to see mission impossible dead reckoning part one uh, last night and it's fucking amazing and you know that'll there's going to be an episode down the line on our um uh punch up ghost of the movies where i can talk about that forever and and why i believe ethan hunt to be a deity of destiny and you know whatever the whole thing he's a living manifestation of destiny um as, uh, as they said in rogue nation uh mm-hmm. and, and you know, that movie further adds to my church of hunt um, but, uh, those, those, the, it's, it's incredible. Go see it, see it on the biggest screen you can as loud as you can. Uh, it is exactly the reason I go to the movies. All right. Back to the, back to something, back to, let, let's roll it back even more now as we talk about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which is our main thing. Cause let's, let's roll it back to if, if Mission Impossible is exactly why I go to the movies, Indiana Jones, and I'm sure this is the case for you, was so formative in everything I like in cinema that like it, it, it these, these movies were so, cause they, they, we, we grew up in an era where they, ex- they much like star Wars, they already just existed. Right. I don't have as deep of a connection to the Indiana Jones franchise as I think you do. I, oh, well, I loved you, it. You people do. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, um, sure. And like, I think it did inform on my sensibilities, but that was because I came to it after cons- I had a very strange introduction to like just the the course of storytelling in a modern context because I was introduced to a lot of like turn of the century pop uh, like pulp fiction at a very young age. So I was reading Edgar Rice Burroughs before I'd even seen any of the Indiana Jones movies. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, so that you're talking about the. Uh the the sort of building blocks that became this and really and Star Wars and a sure. lot of the stuff that that was the pop culture of our youth like the 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 origins of the true origins of that sure but what i'm getting at is like Indiana Jones and Star Wars as well owe so much to the pulp adventures of like old movie serials right so yeah when I was first introduced to the the movies of Indiana Jones, I believe I saw Temple of Doom first. Um, Fascinating, but you're not you're not the first person I've heard say that. No, I, I think Temple of Doom is probably the most disposable of the original three, and was on cable the most. <laughs> yes, and uh, you know, a hot take. Get ready to 
It's my least favorite of the whole franchise. The whole franchise. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I rank. I do not like Temple. Of, well, I'd like Temple of Doom because, uh, look, I, 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 I'm, I put myself in uh, the same position as uh, as fellow podcaster Matt Gorley is. I'm compromised because everything already starts at a great just because Harrison Ford put on a fedora. Sure. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Temple of Doom, I feel like is is objectively the weakest movie. Whatever things you, but like, I feel like the middle section of Temple. We're not here to litigate Temple of Doom, but I'll just sure. say, I know there are those people who adore that movie, and I feel like it's the one that feels the least like an Indiana Jones adventure to me. I I think because it was the first one I engaged with, I hold it in a higher regard, and I think that uh, is for a lot of people who love that movie is true. I, I think I remember bits and pieces of it, and I conflate my love of that movie with love of movies like Goonies. Uh, obviously, there are some key connections there, but like just it, anything it, with Kiwi Kwan, yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> but this franchise to me has always stood as the just like the mirror of Star Wars in a way, or the shadow of Star Wars in a way, because it's the the other quote-unquote Lucasfilm uh, franchise, because yeah. nobody really remembers Willow. Um, <laughs> unfortunately. We do, damn it. I know. We uh, do. Uh, uh, at the end of this movie, uh, the person I saw it with was just like, oh, this was a Lucasfilm? This was a Star Wars movie? Um, and I was like, it's one of three. And they're like, what's the third one? And it's like, eh, nobody knows about Willow. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, and literally, thanks to the good folks at Disney Plus, you can't. <sighs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, like I, I always saw this as like the less engaging, for me, Lucasfilm property because it didn't have space magic, right? <laughs> it has other magic, though. It's, not, it's certainly sure. not lacking magic. Uh, and and that's that's the exact opposite for me. I yeah. love 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 Star Wars, but Indiana Jones is where my heart lies. Sure. Uh, the the grand adventure of it, the 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 you know uh, the the Spielberg of it too, right? Mm -hmm. The the there there is such a and and it it it's rarer too, especially now, right? There are only five of these movies, and they have come out sporadically. Especially between three to four and four to five, there's been a lot of time between these, so. They're, 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 the Indiana Jones movies are more special to me uh, because the Star Wars movies were always built as this sort of saga. And it's just like, oh, this, but these precious few Indiana Jones adventures I get. And it, it mm. I think also there's something about it being the lesser loved child of the Lucasfilm that, that really forced me, you know, not only did I love it so much, but it really made me go like, well, no, why isn't there more Indiana Jones toys? Uh, which, by the way, regardless of whatever anyone thinks of this movie, the fact that it's that has gotten me so many Indiana Jones toys as a result of that. <laughs> I have so many, I've bought so many Indiana Jones figures in the past couple months because this, this movie, not only are there toys from this movie, but it's, it's opened up like a whole market of pops, statues, action sure. figure shirts from the other movies. So uh, I, I actually, all the toys, I don't think I've actually bought any dial of destiny toys as of yet. So um, I may have a hot toy on pre-order, but I was going to say this movie uh, is probably going to have at least like three hot toys of Indy alone. Yeah, 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 yeah. I already have a hot toy of him uh, on pre-order and, and, and there's a Mezco figure of him, too. Of course. Um, 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and I and I've just I'm just all in because I've it, I've been making up for lost time. So if you come over to my apartment now, all around my television is just tons of Indiana Jones toys. <laughs> in fact, there's one that just came here this morning that I, I have to go pick up the package for. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yes. Th- that being said, Indiana Jones is like is 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 pretty pretty high on my like movie franchises and stuff. and I've I've read I've read all the books because it is possible to read all the novels because they <laughs> they put together not just pictures of Star Wars. I read every comic book. Sure. Uh there's only the make three video buy- games. They're gonna make make me buy an Xbox, Gurgani, because you saw that the new video game is going to be Xbox exclusive. Uh, well, we'll, we'll see about that. I don't know. There's some ongoing litigation, and this maybe isn't the venue to talk about it, but like maybe there's some ongoing not, litigation I... between uh, Xbox, Microsoft specifically, and Activision that might bust some stuff wide open in the near future. We'll see. We'll see. But at least at the moment, I, I saw that. And I went like, damn, I'm going to have to buy a goddamn Xbox now uh, <laughs> because I just love this character and his world. I also, it, it, yeah, I mean, you know me well enough to know like old timiness is also sure. a big part of my personality. And yeah, I just love it. Also, he's a nerd. I just, I relate to Indiana Jones in a way. There is something, he's so purely the like, imagine you're the nerd who spends all the time reading books, but like when push comes to shove, you can shoot guys. And punch Nazis. When I was a kid, I wanted to be an archaeologist until I found out it didn't involve punching Nazis. <laughs> well, not for like at least sixty years by the time we were born. But uh... <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So yeah. So that that being said, that brings us to the long-awaited. I mean, the thing about Indiana Jones movies too, especially in the time we've been alive, I feel like more often than we get them is rumblings we might get one. Right, and like obviously the first stone in that avalanche was uh kingdom of the crystal skull was long gestating um yeah because it from uh uh it took 19 years yeah 19 years to get it was 89 to 2008 and in that time there were so many starts and stops and i've read the scripts the abandoned scripts you can find them online for the ones that like the one that almost happened in 95 the one that almost happened in 2000 and it's interesting to see. But so what we got was 2008's Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which I think is an interesting example of a movie where when it came out, it got pretty good reviews and it made a ton of money. And yet everybody hated it in a weird it's a it's a it's got a weird place in pop culture to me. I think it fits squarely in the same place as the Star Wars prequels in a lot of ways, because yeah. I think now as we have gotten some distance from it, you've got people coming back full circle again to become defenders of the film. Yeah, and at the time, I've always liked it, Ge- generally liked it. Uh, I-, I don't think it's as good as some of the other ones. Sure. I just stated I like it more than Temple of Doom, which I'm sure, like I said, will get a flood of angry That's, comments. That below. sounds blasphemous in my mind. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what's your stance on Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? I think, I, and I've... Only rewatched it a couple of times since we saw it in theaters. I believe we saw it together, didn't we? Um, I'm sure. I'm sure we did. Yeah, but and I, I think I might have seen it more than once. So I at least sure. went once. I see that film as again. I, I think I fit it in a very similar box in my head as the prequels, the Star Wars prequels. In yeah. so far as like, I think this is, there are a lot of good ideas on paper here. I don't think they're executed particularly well in a lot of cases. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, 
No, I think that I think that's true, and I think also being uh, somebody like me who has followed these, uh, like the making of these, the thing, and I just rewatched it before I, I rewatched all of them as if I needed to, but like they're also now on four K. Do you need so an excuse? Yeah, uh, I will say I'm such a nerd that I also I do like the new color grading on King of the Crystal Skull. They recolored it for the four K hmm. release. Um, it's subtle, but it's it's it is it does look better. Uh, but uh. The, the thing about it, I was going to say, is like I uh, I can see watching it where I'm like, okay, I know what Lucas wanted and I know what Spielberg wanted and I recognize a lot of the flaws in that movie are the clashes between the two. Yeah. Well, and it's this weird period in both of their careers, right? Uh, it, yeah. It's, it's such a strange crossroads of, and especially Lucas, not being able to give up control of a thing when he is losing control of so many of the other things in his career and Spielberg, who is sort of coming off of a rough patch. Cause isn't that like right after or before BFG? Um, Yeah. It's right before. uh, I think that that it's it's the 20 that I highly recommend. There's a, there's a really good podcast called 21st century Spielberg where a guy just looks at his movies post 2000. mm. Uh, and, and and I'm generally a defender of 21st century Spielberg, I think. But but all of a sudden, he's that's when... And I think the rise of the internet was a big part of this. And Crystal Skull is, you know, a huge microcosm of this whole effect on his career, though. There became a lot of second... Before 2000, he was basically untouchable. Yeah. Like, like he is the greatest American filmmaker. Uh, even mean, That's the movie- how he can start a new studio in DreamWorks, right? Like, that just wasn't well, that- done at the time. Then and that's about the time he's doing that, right? Yeah. Like the first DreamWorks movie he does is uh, Private Ryan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you know, it's it's uh, so there's also sort of a thing about like when Spielberg became more than filmmaker, and then at that point, then people start to go like, "Was well, he really that good a director?" <laughs> but I do think there's a lot of second guessing of Spielberg in the era that he makes Crystal Skull. Sure, because you have this whole new generation of filmmakers coming up, and people like really trying to figure out what makes cinema and movies good in an era in which how we distribute these things is radically changing. And that whole ecosystem still hasn't like we're, we're living in the time period in which like how movies are digested and how media is consumed is changing so rapidly and how it's discussed is so radically different than it was when he was first starting out. It's a big reason why these strikes are happening is is yeah. is we have to put things in place to figure out what are we doing in today's modern world with this stuff and how are people compensated for it. But I also think there's a there's as with any sort of new generation of stuff, there is a rejection of the previous generation, right? So the new generation of filmmakers has to come up going, Spielberg, oh he wasn't that good, you know. Jaws and I think more like Yaws. What I will say is interesting is now, as we come out the other end of that and find ourselves where we are now, I feel like th- as that goes, there's the rejection before the like, now Spielberg is just one of the masters. You well, know, that's like West Side Story and the Fablemans. It is just like, oh, right. I think this movie in particular, Dial of Destiny, is such a, an attempt to. Pastiche is the wrong word, but it's getting at what I think I the the feeling I get watching this movie is that 
James Mangold as a filmmaker is someone I love. Talk about Wolverine. Um, uh, I mean, James Mangold's one of my favorite filmmakers, no question. Uh, but this movie doesn't feel necessarily like his. It feels like James Mangold's trying to do a Spielberg. Sure. I mean, because he's the only, he's the first filmmaker who isn't Steven Spielberg to make an Indiana Jones movie. Right. Like, it would be impossible not to, right? Like, it would just be because Indiana Jones is, Indiana Jones is a weird franchise in that sense, right? Because it is not tour driven franchise. One guy has made it ever. And, 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 and two guys, if you count Lucas, although, like, in the day to day, there definitely is a difference. Like you can feel the Spielberg influence, like just the way sure. it looks. Right? Yeah. Um, so there, there is that sort of weird thing, and immediately, of course, as soon as Spielberg said he wasn't going to direct this, people were just like, "Oh, well, fucking, then it's a, then forget it." Right. And honestly, like, uh, there was certainly that thought crossed my mind when that was announced because then it becomes a little bit more craven, a little bit more like. We were talking about like trying to squeeze something out of a franchise that maybe we shouldn't, maybe isn't there, and like trying to wring out a little bit of IP recognition just for the sake of that, not for the sake of telling a good story. Right. I mean, and we should say Spielberg maintained uh, his role as a producer, and from what Mangold said, like was looking at every shot and giving constant notes and like there's still a lot of heavy Spielberg involvement in this movie hmm. uh, when I gather very minor involvement from George Lucas not none but no it, I think no offense to George Lucas but he feels pretty checked out at this point like he's he really he, does, he, he yeah. got his Disney money and he took a step back and like he's doing whatever he does on a daily basis and it doesn't have to be charting the course of a media empire anymore and he's probably happier for it I, from what I gather, the the, the the Lucas thing is more like, um, sounds good, sure. You know, it's kind yeah. of the, seems to be this, where Spielberg was like making other movies and then at night watching dailies from this movie and going and saying to Mangold, yeah, well, maybe you could do this, or what about that? That's an interesting idea. Like, So it's still, there's still a lot of Spielberg involvement in this movie. The other thing that always made me go is like, uh, uh, well, they didn't get a nobody. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, yeah. if you're not going to get Spielberg... They did get who I think is one of the best filmmakers out there right now. Of course, not only did Mangold do the Wolverine and Logan, which are just uh, both incredible films. Um, uh, but if people haven't seen Copland, uh, Copland is an incredible movie. Copland, uh, one of his earlier films, but I always point people to 310 to Yuma. I fucking love 310 to Yuma. 310 to Yuma is one of the best Westerns made in the last probably 30 years. That mm -hmm. is an amazing movie. The uh uh also he uh the movie he did between Logan and this was Ford versus Ferrari, which I thought was a great movie as well. Uh Mangold's a really good filmmaker. And uh I think in everything I've read, all of his interviews, and he's given a lot of obviously a lot of talks about this, because it is the tone of every interview is just like, Wow. That that must have taken a lot to be able to, to even <laughs> think about doing that. And he talked about it because it, it, it is it's a weird twofold and I think the movie represents this. It's it it has to be so appreciative and romanticized about what came before while also uh you know bringing it into a modern setting and specifically designing it to be the last Indiana Jones movie, which I know is one of the reasons they went to him right because he yeah. had done Logan. 
and had done sort of the sunset of an iconic superhero. And that's what Indiana Jones is, right? Is like, despite the lack of uh, a a complete long-running franchise, he is this superhero in the sense that you see the hat, you see the whip, you if you see a boulder rolling down a stone corridor, if you see uh, yeah. somebody's face getting melted off, like there are these iconic Indiana Jones things ingrained in pop culture that are just inescapable. The effect those movies had on just media and stories and just everything surrounding it like you've got like kids game shows you've got uh other movies doing the same thing you've got spoofs you've got reactions you've got so many video games i mean the uncharted series alone but like uh, tomb raider as well owes their roots to this like iconic piece of media that only has five entries it's really interesting, yeah. It, it 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 speaks to the power of the iconography and design from the ground up. Spielberg wanted a character who was identified in silhouette, right? Like mm-hmm. he wanted to put a stamp on a certain kind of character, uh, and I think that you know it did because it was never planned to be this rare. I mean, it was just that they couldn't get stuff together. They were always trying to make this. The biggest bummer I have is that there aren't, like, five more of these movies. There should have been, by all reason. It just was getting... the For the longest time, it was all three of them had to be on board with something. Yeah. They all had to sign off on it. And so, over the years, there's, like, the script George Lucas loved, and then there's the script Spielberg loved, but Lucas didn't. And then there's the one Ford didn't like, but they wanted to do this one, and, you know... Uh, I mean, we were almost had Indiana Jones versus the Saucer Men from Mars. That was a George Lucas project where he really wanted to go. He wanted to, I mean, Crystal Skull represents this to a certain extent. He was like, if we move from the 40s to the 50s, then it becomes alien invasion movie. So I want to see alien, you know, Indiana Jones fighting a Martian invasion. And I think Spielberg going like, that's not really the aesthetic we Right. Well, but the, but you see the through line of that, though, right? Because, like, you think, like, okay, 40s adventure films are, like, lost civilizations and a little colonial in terms of how they represent I mean, native populations uh, and whatnot, but also fighting Nazis. Yes, exactly. That's, those were the pulp heroes of the time. Yeah, um, and so and then, then he's in the like, fifties well, when it gets all sci-fi, like you can see the the thought progression and how it makes sense. But yes, it doesn't exactly fit the aesthetic of what Indiana Jones had become at that point. And so what you got, Crystal Skull, was essentially the combination of Indiana Jones versus Saucer Men from Mars, and then Spielberg really was championing the script by Frank Darabont called Indiana Jones and the City of the Gods, which structurally, if you were to read it, reads a lot like Crystal Skull. Like mm. it's it's. It, that's the kind of the movie they ended up at least basing the main thing on. It's just then Lucas also kind of got his aliens in there. And the aliens in the movie, this is my issue. I don't have an issue with aliens being in Indiana Jones necessarily, especially because I think like ancient aliens, that kind of stuff kind of fits the aesthetic, right? Sure. Yeah. But what happened was Spielberg really doesn't want to do aliens. Lucas really does want to do aliens. And so the aliens in the movie are kind of this like, well, they're aliens, but they're not because. George wants it to be, but Steven's like, I'm going to kind of back off on it. That's more my issue with King of Crystal Skull. It's not that they did aliens, but that they kind of half-heartedly did them. Yeah. No, you wanted them to go full Stargate, and they just don't. Yeah, I mean, that, and I would have been fine if that had been the case. Instead, it comes to this, like, well, there are beings that travel in the space between spaces. 
you're like, well, okay, I don't know what the fuck that means, but that's great. Some and so kind that's of why outer I, space? Like, aliens? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. Well, and then literally when they put their crystal skulls back on and they take off in a big flying saucer. Right. It's like, so they were aliens. And literally he's got John Hurt going, no, 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 no. What was that? Aliens? No, no. That's not. Yeah. Mm-mm. So uh, the third act <sighs> of uh, Goal is pro. Anyway, let's get to Dial of Destiny because it does feel like, all right, we've done, you know, the Ark of the Covenant. We've done the, we've done black magic voodoo. I mean, talk about colonialism. Big thing Temple of Doom does not age well on is they are jamming a lot of cultures oh, into yeah. a, uh, yeah. It, it uh, is a hodgepodge of other that makes uh, modern, should make modern audiences re- very uncomfortable. There's a reason that India read that script and went, you can't shoot this movie here. We will right. not let you do this. <laughs> uh, then you get back to biblical stuff with, the, of course, the Holy Grail. And 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 my favorite still is Last Crusade. Yeah, uh, I 100%. am such a Last Crusade uh, devotee. Uh, I think that I think to me that is the perfect assemblage of what an Indiana Jones movie should feel like in tone, in aesthetic. Uh, then you get uh, aliens, and so now what's left but time travel? I mean, I could have seen it. I I, I could have picked out some other stuff. Like I, I think there's some fun stuff to do in terms of other cultures and other like aesthetics in terms of like ancient magics in that way and like call it what you want because in indiana jones like a lot of the the magic we see is faith-based right yes it is the idea that you believe in something it imbues it with enough power to change reality in some way we see it with the ark of the covenant we see it with uh even the the worshipers of um oh what is holly Kali in yeah. uh, Temple of Doom, and we see yep. it with the uh, the the knight in Last Crusade. Um, that is poorly. That theme is not really reflected in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, unless you like really read into John Hurt's character a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. Who is uh, underdeveloped uh, is yeah. another problem. I have. That movie, even though, you know, no complaints in the moment because you're watching John Hurt, one of the greatest actors who ever lived, who's doing everything he can, is having a great time. But uh, with this movie, though, what I like about this movie, and I think a little bit why, I guess I should say time travel works well to me for this movie, because Mangold's big theme here is about time. He really, I think the big thing this movie does over Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is this movie, and I think it's it's a strength of Mangold's films in general, is so clearly, uh, it has such clear themes in it, has such a clear point to it, as opposed to Kingdom of Crystal Skull, which is like, let's have another adventure. Well, and specifically, what I was getting at with the whole like idea of faith-based magic, if that's what you want to call it, is the idea yeah. that while this movie on its surface sort of leans away from that theme. I think the theme of faith and specifically faith in other people and faith in the like idea of Indiana Jones as an institution is what this movie is sort of about. Right. And I, yeah, exactly. And I think in some ways that's why having some, an outsider of the franchise come in to tell it, I, not, I, I won't say made it better, but made it what it is. I don't think yeah. Spielberg would have made this movie. Even if it, even if there's so many right. nods, echoes, things to Spielberg. Close. 
Exactly. I think this is this is clearly a movie made by a guy who has spent his life looking at Indiana Jones and is evaluating that. And it, but he's also doing it in a way Mangold talked about. He goes, I, he goes, and I've seen, of course, people say, like, "Well, Mangold out against the fans," but he's right about this. Where he just goes, sometimes fans love these characters so much they don't want the, they don't want them to be anything other than the action figure they have on their shelf. People like the platonic ideal of a thing and the idea of that thing changing from what you have in the back of your head is right. upsetting to fans. I mean, because the ultimate example of that being Last Jedi, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, and that was sort of the thing. But it's, it's, it's Mangold going like, it was my job as a filmmaker to tell a story about a person, not an icon. But at the same time... This movie a is a guy who is an icon and who, who he is an icon to and how that reflects throughout the movie is what the story this movie is trying to tell, right? It's a man who, like, he knows he's not an icon, but everybody else in this movie sees him as this uh, messy, not messianic, but definitely, like, fixture of mythology, uh, mythological right. figure that is Indiana Jones, Absolutely. And that's so much of the thing. And also that was sort of where Mango goes. That's also why I wanted to. And this is where we'll start talking about this movie specifically, I feel like, because we have to. He goes, that's why I wanted to give you 20 minutes where he is exactly yeah. the Indiana Jones you remember. I At the beginning of this movie. fucking love the first 20 minutes of this movie. <laughs> it's the best beginning of an Indiana Jones movie. It is so... It is. He is just... It is exactly that. It is just... Right in my vein, man. Just shoot Indiana Jones right in my vein. Just, and this is the thing I always talk about when people complain about these movies. And some of the criticism I've seen of this movie is like, no, you are comparing this film to your memory of being eight years old and seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. And for 20 minutes, he gives you what it was like to be eight years old watching the coolest guy you've ever seen. And I got... Is this the best we've seen of de-aging? Hmm... I don't know. I was having this conversation last night uh, with my girlfriend after we saw the movie. And, like, I think there are bits of this where it's some of the best I've ever seen. I think there's a couple of moments where the lighting is, like, not quite there. And, like, I can see uh, the seams a little bit. But the places, the places I felt that in were more in the action beats than in the, like, acting beats. Sure. You know, when, when it's close on him and they can really get in there, but when he's like running and things are getting, that's, a, there's a couple places. It's really, it's really good. It's really good. I maintain the best we've seen is Samuel Jackson, but it's really easy to make him look a lot younger. It, that's true. That is true. Uh, the other thing I always, the, the other thing that's, that I love about this is they go, you know, we de-age Mads too. We just don't yeah. have any context for what, you know, this sort of thing where it's like, yeah, that's tell. also really good. Yeah, you can tell, but it's one of those things where it's like it's not it doesn't blow you away because we don't really know what Mads Megason looked like like it's, twenty-five years ago. I guess the problem I have with the de-aging in this movie is the same issue I had with the Irishman, whereas like we know what young Harrison Ford sounded like in the same yeah. way uh that we knew what a, a young De Niro sounded like. And so to hear old man Harrison Ford's voice coming out of young Harrison Ford feels weird. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's true. Um, but every every iconic moment of this, it also gave me what I've always wanted to see since Crystal Skull. Because uh, I was like, damn, when we skip over World War II with Crystal yeah. Skull, and they talk about 
man, all those adventures you had with U.S. intelligence. I'm like, I want to see World War II spy Indiana Jones so bad. And mm-hmm. we get it here. He's, we, we meet him and he's undercover as a Nazi. You know, oh, it's so Recovering good. the Lance of Longinus from the Nazis. Like, that's, that is peak Indiana Jones right there. It's, it has that James Bond movie kind of opening where you're like, dude, this isn't even about the thing. I mean, we'll get the, the, the time travel device is here. Or yeah. it's not actually, it's actually not a time machine. It's a, it's a basically a, 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 a compass for breaks and fissures in time, right? John, you let me know when you want me to go off about the time travel in this movie. I have, I have, I have, I have a theory about. Or I was, th- I was watching this movie thinking about what Gurgoni is going to think about okay. time travel. <laughs> so, but you, I do think you tell me stuff. when you want me to start talking about it. And I'll start talking about it. Okay, well, because the whole thing is here. It's just sort of like I do love. Uh, I, I got to say, I think maybe, maybe my favorite villain in Indiana Jones. And Indiana Jones is not known. I will say, Indiana Jones doesn't have the James Bond thing. The villains in Indiana Jones are not massively iconic. No, because the, what they're trying to do is misuse some piece of mythological history for their own evil ends. And Indiana Jones is just the fly in their ointment that shows up out of nowhere and totally disrupts what they're trying to do. But I do think, to me, Jürgen Voller, played by Maz Mikkelsen, is the most interesting of the bunch, in my opinion. Because I love how insane what he wants to do is. Spoiler alert for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. We're going to be spoiling the whole movie. I just want to get that out of the way right now. Uh, There are some twists in this movie that I think are great and are worth seeing in theaters. I guess uh, before we get too deep into this, I I will recommend going to see this movie. I think it's a lot of fun. I have my issues with it, which we're about to discuss, but yes. Highly, highly recommended. And yeah, I mean, in the classic, like any Indiana Jones movie. Made to be seen in a theater, made to be seen on a big spectacle. This is a big spectacle movie. Uh, it, it's gigantic. The fact that the evil Nazis' plan is to go back in time and kill Hitler had me rolling in my seat. <laughs> I love that because you think you're like, oh, because even when they went, I had kind of pieced together from the trailers, like it's time trial. Oh, he's going to go back and make Germany win the war. And that's even what Indy thinks he's doing. Mm-hmm. But no, he's like, no, that guy's a fucking idiot and somebody needs to do it better. So his plan is to go back in time and make Germany win the war by removing Germany's biggest weakness in the war, Adolf Hitler. So good when that was revealed. I'm like, oh my god, that's great. Because it, a, I, it's like a good plan. B, it's the classic time travel question of, do you go back in time and kill Hitler? And this Nazi says yes. <laughs> because he, because in his mind, Hitler was bad for the Nazis. Yeah. Oh, it's good. It's so good, man. I mean, it's just like if, if only we didn't have that moron, we would have done so much better. Most historians agree that that is correct. <laughs> Because Adolf oh, Hitler was a fucking lunatic, out even yeah. beyond the whole like genocidal fuckhead that he was. He was also like hopped up on speed all the time and a paranoid lunatic. And like there were lots of issues with uh, Hitler. I'm not saying uh, <laughs> we're better off with a Hitler in charge, but like if he if someone more competent was in charge of the Third Reich, uh, things might have I been mean, different. Only- and that's the question this movie asks. He pretty much only got as far as he did because he did have some competent people with him. He, on his own, Hitler would have achieved absolutely nothing because he was just a raving madman, right? Like right. the sort of thing, if you didn't have Goebbels and stuff like that around him to actually go like, well, go over 
were this way, though, mm-hmm. then he wouldn't have even achieved what he achieved. So I think that is, but I, yeah, so that's Voller's. But I love this introduction of Voller as the the Nazi archaeologist, mathematician guy. Or I mean, was he's a he's a a physicist? He's like a mathematical physicist. He's evil Indiana Jones. They cut. That's the other thing I was gonna say about. They're kind of all the Indiana Jones villains are kind of evil India, except for uh, Malaram in Temple of Doom, who's a yeah. crazy thuggy cult leader. But all the Belloc and Walter Donovan and uh, Colonel Doctor Arena Spalco, they're all basic because they all because the the only that, that that makes sense, right? Because the only way anyone would be seeking these items is if they know what Indiana Jones knows. So they have right. to, on some level, be uh, you know, knowledgeable of the thing and 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 have some kind of respect for it. The only difference is the villains want to possess it and use it, and Indiana Jones wants to protect it and preserve it or destroy it in certain cases. In certain cases, yeah. But I mean, it, the, the the classic refrain of it belongs in a museum. Sure, you know, it's like this is a cultural item, <laughs> and also Indiana Jones kind of doesn't. I mean, it is always the running joke Indiana Jones fans go is like every single movie he's like, the whatever, our holy grail, that's bullshit. Like, it's just like how much magic this guy's seen. And every single time he's like, that's not real. Well, and we even see it at the beginning of this movie when he finally yeah. gets the lance and it's like, oh, that's a fake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I do love that, that the whole thing is just like, oh, actually, the Nazis don't have it at all. And, but the whole thing in it is. Uh, Voler at the beginning of the movie going like that lance is even if that lance it doesn't fuck, look at this thing man yeah. this thing got power and they're like shut up nerd it's like so certain Nazis will be okay with the lance of Longinus being the mystical relic that will win them the war but when their handpicked evil scientist says but no time travel well, the, the 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 colonel guy at the beginning of this movie, the the Nazi colonel or whatever, his whole thing is just like, yeah, but the Fuhrer wants the lance, man. So we, we kind of do what the Fuhrer is asking. Thomas Kretschmann has such a bad guy face. He's the colonel. He really does. He. It is one of those things where it's like, dude, I can't believe you haven't already been in one of these. Like to a certain extent, <laughs> like Thomas Kretschmann, I've seen be so many. You know, sometimes it's Nazis, but it's, he always just is. Yeah, that's right. We just uh, uh, we uh, over on uh, Meet the Monsters. We just recently recorded an episode about Blade Two, where he plays Damaskinos, the the main vampire bad guy in that. Well, and he was Strucker in Age of Ultron, and oh, uh, he was the perfect Strucker, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he he's been in a thousand he things. Played, he and he's almost Dracula. always some bad guy. He played Dracula and Dario Gento's Dracula. Like he just, it just about him. It is a gr- a great use of him. Uh, oh yeah, he, he's a, he plays a Nazi in the movie Valkyrie uh, mm-hmm, with Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, well, to be fair, every, basically everyone plays a Nazi in that movie. Yes, I mean that is the point of of that movie, <laughs> with the, the, the internal assassination. Talk about Nazis trying to kill Hitler. That's a true story. Yep. Of it. Great movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend Valkyrie. Really like that movie. Um, but. Uh, yeah, uh, it is great because he has to come in here and just be, you're like, oh, he's the bad guy of the Indiana Jones movie we didn't see. Right. I mean, the, the cold open of this film is such a good, like, Bondian cold open because it is, like, the end of the mission that we don't see interstitially. And what I love is also you get another one of my favorite character actors, Toby Jones, as this character who we've never seen before. And indie, the indie movie's one of the things I love about them is they always imply so much stuff. It's like 
It's the same thing with the way Short Round comes in in Temple of Doom, and you're just like, wait, when did he have a kid? Oh, I guess he just got one, and we just didn't see it. Same thing here. It's like, Toby Jones and him have been running around doing missions together. I don't know who this guy is, but they're best pals. Can we talk about the insane billing on this movie and how Antonio Banderas gets third billing in this film for being one of those characters? Yes. Uh, well, I mean, he obviously gets that because he's Antonio Banderas. Sure. Uh, but like, but basically doing an extended cameo is what you're saying. Yeah. And he's third he's billed great. in the credits. And he's fucking great in, in, in his, in his what, three scenes. Um, but yeah, no, there is, it, it actually, it does feel like, uh, I think Mads Mikkelsen actually got the and, but I was going to say Antonio Banderas feels like he should have got the and. Or the with. Yeah, with, yeah. Wait, maybe give me a with Antonio Banderas and Mads Mikkelsen. There you yeah. go. There's something for you, because it does feel like, I mean, obviously you've got your two, your two leads here, which, oh boy, just avoid anybody talking about this movie on YouTube that's, that's not us or, or a reputable film source because john are you saying that misogynistic assholes have a problem with phoebe waller bridge yeah who uh who i find to just be an absolute treasure she's so charming in this film she's uh, wonderful in everything i've ever seen her in Uh, she's so good in solo as well um she's just amazing uh an incredible woman she's gonna be uh who knows once again when i say she's gonna be uh, but at least the plan at the moment is she's going to show run a Tomb Raider show on Amazon, which I okay. would be more than excited about. Um, she's an excellent writer. She did a lot of the rewrites for No Time to Die, the last mm-hmm. Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they're so they're you know they're your they're your two lead bills. But yeah, it's just like Antonio Banderas is just like, uh, that's just movie star. Sure. I just, I just, but I, he's I another one of those characters where it's like there's yeah. this implied history of Indiana Jones in which I, he has this web of connections around the world because he is this mythical figure who's met everybody and been everywhere, and that starts even in Raiders, right? Like we yeah. get Sala back in this, which I just Sala, please more Sala, always <laughs> I love Sala, and John Reese Davies is so back to, and they have him so, singing Gilbert and Solomon at the end, which I'm like, yes, you're doing the thing. <laughs> there were three people in the theater I was in that actually laughed at that, and I was just like, I yeah. I, I get you, movie. <laughs> a British man is a sailing solid, um, but uh, the. Uh, but even the way he's introduced in Raiders is just a guy Indy knows. Like, right from yeah. movie one, it's not like we ever saw him meet Sala. And I kind of don't want to see Even Marion Ravenwood, his love interest, is his ex-girlfriend. And they had a whole relationship before the first movie even started. Like, right. that's the thing I love. And so, so here we jump into, you're just like, I don't know, Indy's on a spy mission. We don't see him get that spy mission or even fully know what it's about until we're on the train and he's got this partner who's been his partner for a while and it's apparently enough of his best pal that he made him godfather to his daughter um it's i love all that stuff and toby jones is great once again lots of really like antonio benders like toby jones like thomas kretschmann a lot of really good actors in little parts here mangold's very smart about like oh okay uh, I have this little part that only has so much to do, but if I get a really good actor, they'll imbue them with a humanity that will make them seem like they've existed, even though they're only in a couple scenes. I even liked uh, Ethan Isi- uh, Isidore as uh, Teddy, the new short round in this film. Oh, loved him. Loved him. Thought he was great. Uh, like, well, I, that that could have been a very the... thankless role. And like throwing a kid really... or a young person in that role 
was sort of a risk because it's so easy for the audience to be like, Ugh, another kid tagging along with Indy. <laughs> it does feel that. Although what I like about that is, is that he's Helena's short round, right? Like yeah. she has her own short round because obviously, and this is not a new thing, but it works really well here in the legacy sequel is Helena is, is younger Indiana Jones, right? When Indiana Jones is a little bit more impetuous and less ethical and, you know, a little bit more like we saw Indian Temple of Doom when he's talking about fortune and glory and stuff like that. So she's on her own beginning of a trajectory that we're mm-hmm. seeing here. And he's sort of seen a reflection of his younger self in her. And yeah. so including the short round. Yeah. no, absolutely. And actually her story about meeting Teddy is very similar to what Indy says about finding short round yeah. in Temple of Doom. So I know I really enjoyed him. And I also really enjoyed the I mean, you know, that's just good screenwriting, the whole thing about him. uh intellectually knowing how to fly a plane. Yeah. Like he knows how to do it. He's just never done it. And so then at the end of the movie, he ends up flying the plane yeah, into the path. It was because cute. as a lot of, as I had heard so much, I didn't know what happened, but everything I heard about this movie in its early screens was like, and then the third act is bonkers. I was super worried. Cause I, like, like you, I'd pr- pretty much figured like, okay, there's going to be some time travel thing in this film. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of figured that this movie was going to loop back in on itself and we were going to have a replay of the opening sequence with two indies because that feels like the easy like uh, crowd pleasing choice to have done. It's very similar to what they did in Endgame and or I mean, go all the way back to Back to the Future 2, right? Um, Yes. Like replay the hits, replay the thing, you know, works. But when we see Roman fucking triremes on the sea outside of Syracuse, my face lit up. (laughs) That was because that was that was the thing where it's like and and Mangold said in the first draft he wrote that that was the ending he had was they go back to Nazi Germany and it turns into a big chase across World War Two. And it would have been and then he you know, he goes, wait a minute, is there something more interesting? Because that is. I mean, as you're saying that, you thought that's where it was going, because that is where logically one would think it would go, and so that's where he first went, and then it's like, no, man, he's like, if I'm going to do time travel, I'm going all in on this. Go nuts with And it, yeah. also, and it's so much better as a story for two reasons. There's the thematic reason, which we'll talk about, which is so much about what the movie's about, but two, of course, just the idea of a guy who's devoted his life to history getting to experience history in that way. And you have that. I mean, I got to say, too, like, not that he's bad in King of the Crystal Skull. I think the script is just better here. Ford is so good in this movie, which is like, it, it. of course, we take it for granted. He could play this character in his sleep, right? He's one of our greatest actors. This is his most iconic role. Well, and Harrison Ford is one of those actors who, in the back half of his career, you can see projects that he's jazzed about and ones that he's not, and he's probably just there for a paycheck, right? Like, Harrison Ford can be checked out on films, and you can kind of tell. You tell me he wasn't locked into Ender's Game? I'm telling you, he wasn't locked into Ender's Game. I don't think he was necessarily locked in on Cowboys versus Aliens. Like, there's plenty of movies. Oh, God, yeah, Cowboys. No, he is a guy who... You can get there are times when it's like not that he's ever bad, but there are definitely times when it's like, yeah, I'm at I'm at half speed here, <laughs> right? And look, when you get to an actor at his stage in his career, I go for it, man. Like you earned it, but yeah, when he turns it on, you can tell. And I think like this movie, obviously, I think uh, Force Awakens, despite 
what you might say about that movie. Harrison Ford's giving oh. a really good performance in that film. He's great in that. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 is amazing yep, yep, in yep, it yep, as yep, well. Yep. Uh, I think what he's doing on TV, I don't know if you've watched any Shrinking. His, I just started. Show. I love that show. He's amazing in it, though. And it, it does feel like he's cut loose in a way. And he talks about it. He goes, I love doing these scripts because I get to do comedy. I never get yeah. to do this kind of thing. And you can, see, you can see it. He lights up. I think sometimes when people talk about him seeming old, it's that in some of those movies, he does seem old because he's like, uh, and I feel like. It ebbs and flows in Crystal Skull. I think there's part. I think anytime he's on screen with Karen Allen, that chemistry is undeniable. They're amazing. Their one scene in this movie brought a tear to my eye because it's beautiful, uh, and they're incredible together. But uh, then there are other moments when it's like, and I think a lot of that comes from they didn't have a script anyone was thrilled about on Crystal Skull, and so they Mm. were sort of making it up. So I do think there's a lot of like, what am I doing? All right, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think there's even that in, I think, uh, look, uh, I think Return of the Jedi, he's kind of checked out on a little bit. Not fully. Yeah, no, but like he, well, first off, like there's not a lot for Han Solo to do in that film. And apparently really. he talked about that. He kept saying that to Lucas while making that. He's going like, what am I doing? That's why, he, that was always the thing about he wanted him to get killed off. Because he goes, at least that'd be like something. I can like sacrifice myself. Because I don't really do anything in this movie. And right. he's not wrong. I mean, there's no. some great moments, hasn't it? Once again, Ford, never bad. Ford at half speed is still better than most actors. Sure. Uh, but we sort of just, like, fall into his relationship with Leia, and there's no real, like... It's just accepted that they're good it, throughout that it film. Doesn't, it doesn't have the heat and energy that, that Empire and the first right. movie had. Right? Yeah. Like, and and that's something I do like that I think he and Karen Allen have kept doing. Uh, and actually, though, then when you talk about he's very good in Force Awakens because there's a reframing of that. Now, people have brought up the similarities between what became of Han and Leia's relationship and what has become of Indy and Marion's relationship in this movie. What do you feel about them killing Shia LaBeouf off screen in this film? I don't... I'm, well, I... I like what it does. I like where it puts Indy. I don't know that. I don't know that that's what. Because I'm one of the, I'm one of those people. I didn't mind Mutt Williams. I didn't like love the character, but I don't think he was this detriment to the franchise. I like what it does for his character, though. I like where we find Indiana Jones in this movie. As a guy who, because I mean, once again, to get back to the themes, it's sort of this idea about this guy who's like, the world has no place for me anymore. Right? I'm an yeah. old timer, so. Having lost my son, the thing I lived for, having lost my wife as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And you watch a guy, it's interesting we're talking about checked out because you're also in this movie consciously, once we jump to 1969, it's a checked out Indiana Jones, right? He's sort of going through the motions as a teacher with a bunch of students who don't give a shit about what he's talking about, which right. I love that whole scene when he's talking about the past and they're like, yeah, but the moon landing. <laughs> and he has just like no real concept of. Not necessarily the moon landing, but like he is so wrapped up in the importance of the past and how it's built the present that he is not looking towards the future, right? And his yeah. loss of his son plays into that as well. And I think that's further burrowed him into the past then. So yeah. I like that. You know, whether or not that's sort of doing Mutt Williams dirty, I don't know. Um, There's a lot of sweeping Crystal Skull under the rug in this film. That's what it felt like to me. And that, sure. whether or not that's good storytelling or not i don't know but it does do a lot of the the heavy lifting in terms of 
where we find Indy at the, as we get to present day with the character. I think that's true. And I think I would be more upset about it if, it, if, if the script wasn't as good about doing stuff with Indy for that. And I think right. the other thing, the other thing is like, not that you have to sweep Crystal Skull under the rug, but Crystal Skull doesn't weirdly for a movie that gives Indy his son and has him get married to Marion kind of doesn't advance him as a character that much. So it's not that you have to sweep another rug, but it's just like, there's not like a ton of character threads. There's story threads, but there's not a ton of character threads to pick up on from that movie. It's not like I left that movie going like, ooh, where will this continue for Indiana Jones? That kind of felt like an ending of sorts. No, weirdly, it... Like, this movie retroactively makes Crystal Skull a little bit more impactful because... Yeah. There are things that Indiana Jones can lose now, important things, family and loved ones. Um, is it implied yeah, it's in- that Mutt Williams dies in Korea, I guess? Or early Vietnam. Or early yeah. Vietnam, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it would have been... Yeah, either one, I don't know exactly. Yeah, he joined up. I took it... I guess I, I, I interpreted Vietnam only because that's omnipresent at this point, and that sure. would be where some lost their sons and and also the idea that he i mean i love the whole thing about like oh he signed up right he wasn't drafted it was like he was mad at me so that further puts indy blaming himself and -hmm. you get the sense of that's probably what broke up him and marion is not so much he says as much yeah it's like yeah i i i did that i mean but just the idea that this guy was just like well then i fucking it's my fault our son's dead Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, and 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 this whole idea about like, I also love this whole thing about like, I didn't know what to say to her, and so you get the sense here's a guy who probably just retreated into academia, yeah, uh, no. and then uh, eventually like, he didn't know how to try to support Marion in her pain because of his own guilt and regret revolving around the fact that he wasn't there for this kid's basically entire childhood and adolescence. And then he tries to become a father figure in crystal skull and then also kind of fails at that. Well, and here, of course you've got, uh, uh, as Mangold said, what ultimately comes from this is you have a character, you have a father who, who's looking for some, you you have a guy looking for someone to father and then a woman who's never had a father really. And that's, you know, I mean, this, these are, this when we're dealing in like big blockbuster stuff here, one could talk about these themes are very obvious, but they're solid themes. Sure. And they're classics and, Mangold, and tropes for a reason. Yeah. It's sort of the thing where I sort of go like, people go like, Oh, well, of course that's the thing. It's like, well, it's still ultimately a movie that's built around like Indiana Jones being chased by Nazis. So like, yeah, big emotional themes kind of need to be stated, but I will say, I do think this movie has more of a maturity to it than any of the other ones. Like the idea of Indiana Jones racked with, grief over the death of his son is not something you could imagine any of the previous iterations of this character dealing with. It really right. does feel... And I know that's something that they talked about. The Crystal Skull... A son, I mean, they gave him a son, they gave him a past, but it didn't really feel like that was like, boy, this is old Indiana Jones. No. Whereas this one really does feel... Midlife crisis Indiana Jones. Right, exactly. You know, and it's something to talk about. It is very funny to think that Ford was like 65 in that movie. And mm. people are like, Jesus, he's still doing this at 65? And now here he is at 80, yeah. you know? Uh, and he's looking good, man, I gotta say. Like, I, I, I didn't... I, I think some of that is, and Ford even talked about this, like, Indiana Jones is... Well, Indiana Jones is actually 70 in the movie. But, mm-hmm. um, 
But like Indiana Jones is an elderly man, so it never feels like what's he doing? Yeah, it never no, feels like I'm, God. He's trying to play forty year old Indiana, Jones, except for the beginning where they're consciously doing that. I I did appreciate that this movie isn't really trying to make Indiana Jones still the guy who can like leap across ravines and stuff. And but they also didn't lean on the I'm a near invalid. Like we have that bit where they're climbing the rocks and he stops and he goes, just like, everything hurts. Why am I still doing this? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I guess I still can, but God, it's harder than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, because you do get stuff like, you know, you get the awesome, uh, the, the tuck, tuck chase. I thought was great. Uh, yeah. When you're I really enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun. I uh, will say, my biggest complaint about this movie mm. is that every single action set piece is a chase. Literally all of them. But I mean, this, I'm just trying to think, is that's kind of what Indiana Jones movies mostly are though, aren't they? To an extent. Yeah. And like, but there's never the, the stand and fight moment in this movie that the other indie movies usually have. Um, yeah, and I don't know. Uh, like, well, so, somebody asked me last night, like, "Hey, are there any good Nazi deaths in this movie?" And it's like, there's no like oh. him throwing somebody into a propeller. There's no like Nazis getting their face melted off. Like, there's a. I think there's a lot of Nazi deaths in this movie, and I think some of them have like incredibly interesting and fun circumstances. Seeing a, a World War II era bomber crash land on the walls of Syracuse while the Romans are invading is fucking rad. But <laughs> it's rad, and the thing I love too because every Indiana Jones villain can't just die. You have to see the absolutely charred corpse of Jurgen Voller. You know, I mean, like every, every they have to be decimated for having messed with this stuff, right? Yeah. They the only good Nazis are dead Nazis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get all that stuff. One of the interesting things I, 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 because uh, uh, I, I do, uh, uh, I'm a big fan of the James Bonding podcast, and they, they've recently uh, done a show within a show, which is Indiana Jonesing, mm. uh, leading up to this movie. But something I thought that was very interesting that that, that Matt Myra, who, who uh, I love Matt Myra, but that I thought was so interesting that he go, he was really upset by the civilian deaths in this movie. So many innocent people are killed in this movie. And he goes, well, that's just not the fun of Indiana Jones when people are just murdered. You know, that's honestly interesting because I've heard similar takes from uh, like mutual friends of ours and just people online where it's like hmm. explicitly the, the two college professors at the beginning of this yeah. movie who get gunned down and like some of the other civilian deaths in this movie are, are not necessarily something that has been a part of the Indiana Jones franchise. Obviously there are like innocents that are harmed because of evil Nazi plans and that, will happen, but just like the casual gunning down of people in the routine course of their nefarious schemes is a new brutal aspect of this film. I think it's a new brutal aspect, but I, 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 I liked it in as much as I just love innocent people getting killed. No, uh, I liked it in as much as, uh, in as much as it, it tells you like, Oh shit, these guys are not, you know, this is not Belloc or Walter Donovan, or these are Nazis. These yeah, are vicious. Boyd Holbrook is a killer in this. Boyd movie. Holbrook is scary in this film, but Oliver Richters, who plays Hawk, oh, the absolutely yeah. gigantic evil Nazi guy, is such yeah. a presence in this film. It's just like, that damn, is that very, is a big human. 
That is a very Indiana Jones thing. There's always like a couple henchmen, and one of them has to be gigantic. In fact, in the first couple movies, it's he's always played by the same guy. I don't know if you know this. The same stunt guy is the guy who goes into the plane mm. uh, propeller. Raiders is also the big thuggy guard that he fights in Temple of Doom. Is oh. also there's the guy that they just kept using. So I I always think of it's sort of an ode to that guy that there's got to be like this gigantic dude. But yeah, this guy is. Uh, uh, oh, I guess we saw him in uh, Black Widow as well. And yeah, he's he the guy the... arm wrestling. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Red, Red Guardian. Guardian. Yeah, yeah. Seven one. They've got this guy listed at. Good lord. Yeah. Seven one tall and eight five wide. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, I guess technically he was playing Ursa Major in that, wasn't he? Well, okay. Come on, sure. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> Uh, his nickname is the Dutch Giant, uh, according to his IMDb. Um. And he is just, he is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, the villains in this movie are distinctly less fun on purpose. Sure. They are yeah. so laser focused. And even Voller, who has, who definitely has a, a villain kind of career. I mean, Mads Mikkelsen, just in general. There's, there's, there's more fun to him. He's having more fun in this than he did as Le Chief in uh, Casino Royale, where he was very just, yes, and crying blood. The mm-hmm. thing I've recently discovered about this guy, massive fucking nerd. Massive yeah. nerd. Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, they were, I was, they were at the premiere of the movie, and they were talking about, well, this movie, you know, Indiana Jones is always about treasure. What's your greatest treasure in life? He goes, oh, bond on my comic book collection. Because <laughs> I have an amazing comic book collection. And he just kept talking because I just can't believe it. I'm in an Indiana Jones movie. I just this is the greatest thing in the world. And they, and they <laughs> what do you want to do next? He goes, I really want to do a movie where I get to kill zombies. That I just want to be in a zombie. Just like this guy, he is not like so many of the bad guy actors, right? He is not an intense dude at all. He's a goof who loves pop culture and genre stuff. So that well, fills me with joy knowing that he's having the time of his life going, I can't believe I'm fighting Indiana Jones. And, and the bad guys are always the more fun, like, roles, right? Yeah. Being able to relish being an evil asshole is, like, more enjoyable well, as an actor a lot of the time. And Voller is so, like a lot of good villains, right? He's so, like, no, this is what has to be done, man. Like, I, 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 hear me out on this. I'm right. Like, this yeah. this will make everything better. So you are just like, oh, you're insane. When he has the line early in the film to the bellhop at the hotel, it's just like, you didn't win, Hitler lost. It was just like, oh, oh this is an evil Nazi. Right from the pitch for this being in 69 too, and Mangle talking about the, the Operation Paperclip, I'm like, that's how you get Nazis back. That's so smart to, yeah. to figure out where, okay, it would be about this time. If you set it kind of around the space program, I can work a Nazi scientist in there in a way. And that mm-hmm. was very good. Uh, and yes, uh, Boyd Holbrook, by the way, who we talk about, he's great in this. He's, be- he's fast becoming one of my favorite actors. He is doing amazing work. He was also in Logan for Mangold, where he was mm-hmm. one of the mm-hmm. villains. That, and he was great. We just saw him be. He talking about he's scary in this. He was fucking terrifying as the Corinthian on Sandman. Good. Oh, Lord. so good. Yeah. Uh, and he's gonna be the villain in the new season of Justified that's coming out uh, next week. If you're listening to this when it comes out, uh, which I can't wait for. One of my all-time favorite shows, Justified. Boyd Holbrook back. versus Timothy Oliphant. Yes, please. Yeah. 
Yes, that's right. And 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 he's the he, classic justified villain where he thinks he's a better gunslinger than Marshall Raylan Givens. Uh, so, he's about to get himself some learning through bullets, I think. Yeah, I have a feeling he's going to end up shot full of holes by the end of that. But uh, <laughs> I cannot wait for that. That's going to be great. But also very funny. Uh, I, a movie I highly recommend people check out is uh, Vengeance, which is uh, uh, B.J. Novak's directorial debut. What a... What a very je- vague title for a film. But it, but that was sort of the the impetus of it. Was B.J. Novak said he's like, wouldn't it be funny if there's a movie called Vengeance and my face was on the poster? <laughs> and that indeed, that's fair. Did, and that, and so that's what it did. Very funny, but he's great in it and very funny and lovable. Not terrifying. Really cool. So really talented dude. Uh, also, a little werewolf movie did a couple years ago called The Cursed is also kind of a. A little horror gem that I recommend mm. people check out too. Uh, so anyway, I love him, and he's he also is so scary and evil, but clearly is loving it. Like, there's such joy in this movie. I think that's the thing that is different from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which once again is a movie I think is totally fine and watchable, but did sort of feel like everybody's going like, I yeah, we'll be back, but kind of we don't know. This movie is so assured, and in a way feels like it's made by people who are like, we are jazzed. Ford has always been more in love with this role than Han Solo. Like, mm-hmm. it was always, like, pulling teeth to get him to come back to Star Wars or talk about <laughs> Star Wars. Whereas Indiana Jones, he's like, I want to do it all day, every day. It's my favorite thing ever. Like, because uh, it, it, I remember them talking about, like, all the press for, like, oh, you're playing Han Solo again. Would you want to do Indiana Jones? He would just keep going, in a New York minute. I just, <laughs> I love doing it. And I know he was also very big on and pushing Mangold towards... I really want to give an ending to this guy. I really want to give a last story. Well, look, the truth of the matter is like Han Solo's no spring chicken. I don't want to get right. too morbid about this, but like guy is over 80 at this point. Uh, yeah. You want to have the author of these legendary characters write the ending of them, right? Like that just feels correct. It does become at the end of the day it is sort of like oh Spielberg's not directing Lucas isn't involved but you do kind of go like yeah but at a certain point Indiana Jones became Harrison Ford and so if Harrison Ford is really leading the charge then that's kind of the most not to take away the other things but it's like if that guy's really enthused then I'm enthused is kind of I guess my attitude about that right it's Mm -hmm. like yeah he is the ultimate protector of the character he is the one you know, they always talk about that. Directors, they care about the actors have to care most about their part. Right. Directors are thinking holistically. It's like he is so protective of the actual character of Dr. Henry Jones Jr. Yeah. No. And look, I'm a realist. I could see in 15 years or whatever, there might be another actor who uses the name Indiana Jones at some point. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I'm sure Dis- I mean, Disney's already, like, apparently in, like, the, like uh, they're going, like, what would a Disney Plus show that Indiana Jones Sure, and look, that wouldn't even be the first time that it happened. We had the adventures of young Indiana Jones. So We did, and, I, and actually, I would love to see uh, a better version. <laughs> that, talk about it. That was a totally Lucas spearheaded thing, and he goes, I really want to use it to be a educational show about history i'm like ooh, no one else wants that i remember watching that as a kid and being jazzed because i loved indiana jones and kind of going why is this boring <laughs> you turn fun into of, homework as they say on yeah, a blank check sort of like, yeah, exactly exactly it's sort of like uh, uh do you do you want to see indiana jones meet ernest hemingway 
Not really, no. Is <laughs> <laughs> he going to punch somebody anytime soon? Mm. Uh yeah, so I, I I would not be uh, opposed to the idea of seeing a new version of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles at some point here. Yeah. Um, you know, as we kind of... Uh, how do you feel about this, then, as the last chapter of Indiana Jones? I think it's a like, good finale. I think it's a good, like, send-off of the character. I think everything lands where it should to feel like we're closing a book and we can walk away satisfied. I have my gripes yeah. about this movie, we can talk about some of the historical inaccuracies that make me fidget in my seat. Uh, okay, all right. There's hundred. I, I was trying to go like, what? I, I, what are your? I was gonna go Mike Gargoni's gripe corner, and as soon as you said that, I'm like, all right. So there, yeah, that nothing. I'm I thought about it all. I'm sure then. Sure, like Archimedes died at that battle. Like that's a thing that happened. Like he didn't survive the siege of Syracuse as a, a historical person. That is where he died. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm just saying, but like I, I didn't know that. I, bear, I I can tell you, I don't really know much about Archimedes. Beyond sure, and of... like the idea that like that whole situation happened in the middle of the Second Punic War is not something this movie cares about, and that's fine. Like the whole, because it's cool to see them come out and like you're talking about in a Nazi bomber, uh, sure. and suddenly there'd be Roman ships and stuff, and that was so. I love seeing the big spears clang into the side of the plane. Yeah, and you're going and... like. Awesome. And the whole, like, Romans reporting on, like, wild weaponry that the city had that Archimedes supposedly designed is all, like, historically accurate to a degree. Mostly always, all of that stuff was written, like, 60 years after it happened, but... Because there's always... I mean, every Indiana Jones movie takes a kernel of a real thing. Everything sure. is a real-ish thing, right? Yeah. Uh, whether that be biblical or historical. Right. Um, but, like wasted a bit of a wasted opportunity in this movie uh like famously there is a story of how archimedes died during this battle which is always like mm -hmm. one of those more entertaining bits of historical like bric-a-brac that washes up on the shores of what we've recovered from two thousand years ago uh um, right is this idea that uh archimedes was killed in the siege of Syracuse, when the Romans were invading the city and like starting to hack everything down and kick down doors, uh, some Roman legionnaire like kicks in the door, sees Archimedes and is like, you come with me. You're a prisoner of the, of the Romans at this point, because we're not yet the Roman empire. We're still the Republic technically. Um, but, uh, Archimedes as like a completely absorbed guy who's just about inventing in like math and geometry is just like, give me a minute, give me a minute. I need to finish this. Uh, don't bother me right now. I'm busy making a calculation. And the soldier's so irate that this guy who has no idea that the city is burning down around him because he's too busy figuring out the circumference of a circle just kills him. And then the Romans are like, you killed Archimedes, you fucking idiot. <laughs> that is interesting. Uh, he what 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 they didn't know is he was calculating where a time fissure would open. Right. Uh, well, I wanna... and this this movie posits that Archimedes escapes Syracuse and goes on to invent the Dial of Destiny. <laughs> yeah, and that, that, that's also very Indiana Jones. It's like we're going to take a kernel history and then put an Indiana Jones spin on it. Sure. Um, but, like the idea that this sets up that there's like an alternate timeline in which Indiana Jones specifically managed to get back in time and like get Archimedes out of the city to one extent or another. 
Hell yeah, man. What can't Indiana Jones do? Uh, the thing I was going to say, but uh, we got to talk about the time travel. Because I sure. actually feel like you would like the time travel of this movie. Because when they get into... Because the whole end of the movie is they get to the tomb of Archimedes. And they you know they follow all the clues. It's very classic Indiana Jones. Sure. Doing, yep. should, this movie does all the Indiana Jones stuff I want to see, other than just chases and punching Nazis and stuff like that. It also does all the finding of clues, which I think is always great, and to me would always be what would be my death in writing these. Solving that would be tomb puzzles, great stuff. That stuff is great, but I was just thinking about it. I'd love to write an Indiana Jones movie, and I'm like, I would hate to. I just want to come up with reasons why he's, like, blowing up a Nazi plane. I don't really <laughs> like the idea of, or, or, you know, finding a thing is cool, but then you got to lay all the, like, eight things, that whatever. So they finally get to the end of this movie. We do get our creepy, we get two creepy crawlies in this movie, because the creepy crawlies are part of it. I love the eels as sea snakes. Very clever. It had to be snakes. <laughs> I, I just say that one kind of looks like a snake. No, it doesn't. <laughs> one of my favorite bits actually in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is when he gets uh when he's in the quicksand mm-hmm. and, and Mutt throws the snake to pull him out and he goes, just call it a rope. What do you mean? <laughs> just say it's a rope. Like it just that's that's the further thing where it's just like, if I don't have the snake thought. I can maybe get through it. That was right. very fun. And then, but then we get the the bugs and specifically like the millipedes in Ugh. the doom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that though. That's very much classic. The the Spielberg Indiana Jones thing is at some point in the movie you need to go. Ugh. Yeah, no, that that that's, that corridor that's with all the bugs got me like shivering. It, it was really good. It was really good. Um, so when you finally get there, yes, they. But they're doing I. In my mind, the time travel that you like, which is it's always happened, right? Like, it's all... Well, again, what time travel I like is consistent time travel that makes sense. Um, yes, I mean, always my point. My favorite my favorite time travel movie, of course, is Back to the Future, which is consistent unto itself. Sure. Um, <laughs> we don't need to relitigate that. We've, off, we've long gonna... talked about not gonna Zemeckis get into yeah Zemeckis has his uh, it, the first movie is consistent among itself I'll give you I'll grant you that <laughs> when you didn't like it looping back on itself uh yeah it became an Ouroboros with multiple heads yeah hey, hey, hey. um, that's my jam I love this people. movie proposes uh, uh, a single loop right um yeah yes insofar as that the time travel that Archimedes perpetrated wasn't that he went into the future. It's that the future came back to him. And that is what we saw at the end of this film. Right. Uh, and, and, and that that's, only that's the, that one instance of time travel ever happened or will ever happen. Right. And so you see all the pieces of that having already been there, the watch, the plane, Right, the the thing it, it's already there in the tomb before they've even gone back. What doesn't make any sense about the time travel in this film, okay, is why Mads Mikkelsen's character would think it would lead anywhere else. Oh, you're talking about like big, the whole thing about the the when Indy figures out he doesn't he didn't account for continental drift, or just like what in all of this makes them believe that this rift in time that this dial can predict would lead to anywhere specific, like say 1939 before the Nazis invade Poland. Mm. That's a good point. I mean, it is just sort of uh, 
taken on faith, right? That like, and that's the thing. That's where this movie leans into those themes that I was talking about earlier, where it's just like the the bad guy of this film is so convinced that yeah. he can accomplish and rewrite history in a way that was always going to be impossible, but because he is so bent on this evil plan, he is blinded to the idea that it could not happen. Um, right, exactly. It's sort of, uh, well, because the whole thing is, right, it's not, a, it's not a time machine. It's not the DeLorean where you can type in a date and go there. It is, I'm going to fly through this opening in time, but yeah, what is controlling where in time I'm coming out? Literally nothing. And the only thing... That the, the dial, dial leads you to the fissure. It doesn't yeah, control it. where it's taking you. It doesn't, the, the dial doesn't actually have any power into itself. All the dial is doing is pointing you towards this hole in space-time that will lead you to Syracuse in 213 BC. And that yeah. is all it will ever do, and that is all it can do. Uh, well, and, and to be fair, I think what, the, what you would say, too, is we don't really, because we wouldn't, we don't really know what Mads Mikkelsen has learned about this thing. We only get the pieces of it, so... I don't know what how he expects to do that, but everybody's geared up in their World War II Nazi uniforms and an old plane. He obviously is very convinced he's going to get back to there specifically. You do get the moment when Indy realizes, wait a minute, you're not, you haven't, that you've made a mistake in your calculation. You didn't, he didn't account for continental drift. But again, that doesn't make a ton of sense if this rift in time was only ever going to lead to one place. Right, that's the thing, right? Is 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 it's uh he didn't account for where it would physically where it would take him. Right. Like it wouldn't be Germany. But the idea that Archimedes did, even though Indiana Jones says right. Archimedes wouldn't have accounted for that, but he clearly did. Because Archimedes at the end of this movie says you were only ever going to meet me. This was always going to happen. Right. right. And right. I think Helena has a line it's like you you were asking for help basically at this invasion right. of Syracuse. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Is, I mean, it was I, a really I, cool idea. I really liked the idea that, like, okay, this was just a buoy thrown out into history by Archimedes at this point, being like, I know this thing is going to happen here, and I spent my life afterwards trying to make it so it can still happen. I don't know. It, it the the his plan specifically, Archimedes doesn't make yeah. a ton of sense after the events of this film because assuming i guess unless this movie takes place in an alternate reality in which i guess it does where Syracuse doesn't fall and Archimedes leaves and like the, Sicily isn't conquered by the Romans during this time yeah. which i guess is the case um a little bit of historical uh, background. This this is all taking place during the Second Carthaginian War between Carthage and Rome. And at some point, Sicily switches sides and basically aligns itself with Carthage, which is why the Romans are invading. Um, right, and right. Historically, the Romans sweep back in, burn everything down, kill Archimedes, take over Syracuse. And uh, yeah, the Second Punic War doesn't end well for Carthage. Um Meanwhile, somewhere Hannibal is invading the Alps with a bunch of elephants, but we don't worry about that in this film. Um. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, because once again, it's it's. I think you're right. I think it's just I didn't think about it to a certain extent because, of course, it's it's all just about Indiana Jones's sure, story. Sure, sure, sure. And like in the moment in the film, I'm not necessarily thinking about that. I right. don't want to say that that is like a huge negative in the film. After the fact, I sat down. I was like, does the time travel make sense in this movie? 
Yes, it's the villain's plan that doesn't actually make any sense. Right. Yeah, I don't. I I agree. I don't. I'd have to go back. I mean, now I'm gonna want to go back and watch it again, looking for that. Like, does he ever explain for any reason why he thinks that? I don't think he does. But I I don't, I've only seen it once, so. Uh, but they yeah, have that some, they have some drop lines about like how the dials control like where the destinations that you're looking for are, but why they think that's the case, I don't know. Right, and also the whole thing is just he's just wrong because Archimedes had done this anyway, right? Like I mean, right. that's, the whole thing is just it didn't matter. He he never had a chance. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So like in hindsight, the villain's plan in this movie like starts to fall apart a little bit in my brain, um, which is fine because he's a Nazi and he's stupid and he should die and he does. And it's great. Yeah. Um, oh, does he ever? Like I said, yeah, yeah he gets, I, he I gets really wished he'd gotten beheaded by a Roman, but you know, that's just me. <laughs> that would be, I, like I said, I, I, I think total decimation is always important to an Indiana Jones villain. There a needs term to be that the Romans coined. Oh, there you go. There you go. But you I know, just like, you know what are... that used to mean, John? I don't. When, when a uh, a squad of Roman soldiers uh, did badly in a battle, they would be decimated after that, and they would draw lots, and a tenth of their unit would be ceremoniously killed by their fellows after the battle. That is what his decimation comes from. Good lord! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Romans, yeah, they're not great the, uh... either. <laughs> no, 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 no. I saw Gladiator. Um, <laughs> and soon we'll get. Because there's another trailer we saw recently. Soon we're, now we're going to get Ridley Scott's Napoleon. I'm very curious about that film because Napoleon's such a bad dude in this movie. I don't know if it's making him out to be a hero or what. We'll see. Oh, I don't. I mean, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I think probably ambiguous at best, right? Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just in it for more Ridley Scott battle scenes. Um, sure. Yeah. So the. Uh, yeah, so we get this final moment, though, where Indiana Jones wants to stay in the past. And that's sort of the crux of the theme of the movie, right? Right. Well, it's Indiana Jones kind of like embracing the mythological end of the man trapped in the past becomes trapped in the past. Yeah. And becoming convinced almost almost like a villain, right? Almost like one of his villains that, oh, this is the destiny I have, right? Like, mm -hmm. this is where I belong. I was supposed to come here. This is my play. Uh, and it's Helena who's kind of like, Dude, that's shitty to everyone who cares about you now. Yeah, and Indy being convinced that there is nobody that cares about him and being wrong yeah. is the summation yep. of this film, right? Right. And I mean, and and that's 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 such a realistic thing for such a heightened world world of these movies, right? Is this idea that Indiana Jones is so locked into his own depression that he's like, nobody cares about me. Mm -hmm. I'm such a bummer. You know, well, and it, it is a reflection of the franchise as a whole, right? It's this idea of like, oh, and apparently that's nobody cares about the, Indiana the Jones. Let's just leave it in the past. And this idea of no, every there are people who still care about Indiana Jones. It might not be the whole world anymore, but there are still people in the present day that care. And it is the 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 reconstruction then of a family of sorts at the end of yeah. the movie. When we get Marion back, which, of course, I, I, when there was initial talk that she wasn't going to be in it, it is sort of like, no, that can't happen. You can't do that. Like, I, I think everybody's fear was we were just going to start the movie and she's dead. 
I think that was everybody like was yeah. just like I need to widow and you know another woman is dead in a franchise and instead it's Mutt who's who's gone and they're forced to come back together in a great moment that they talked about was an early like oh we got to do this is the recreation of their scene from Raiders which is really nicely done and it turns into this like beautiful reconnection between them and I like that the movie doesn't end with like and they're fine now it ends with like they're maybe taking the first steps towards being okay and on some level they'll never be okay obviously having lost their son but like they can they're at least coming together for the first time since and and actually talking about their feelings and Sala's there because he should be I love Sala's whole family now in the US oh it's great I saw somebody talking about it. They go like, how is this a better life for Sala? He had a kingdom over there. And I was like, well, it probably got fucking wrecked during World War II is what I'm assuming is why he left Egypt. People don't know about what happened in World War II outside of Europe. Um. Exactly. Like, I have to imagine he had to like get out of Egypt fast is my guess. And he would, got him in the U.S. I would encourage people to look up the North Africa campaign and how yeah. bad things got when the Nazis invaded uh, highly recommend. I don't know. Have you watched the show? Have you seen Rogue Heroes? The mm-hmm. the show about the birth of the SAS. So good, but it has mm-hmm. it's all uh, African uh, battleground conflict, which you almost never see in World War II stuff because that's where the SAS was born. They mm-hmm. were going behind and going, why why are we fighting planes in the air when we can just blow up their airfields? Yeah, really yeah. good show. Really awesome show. Uh, if you're into World War II at all, but. Uh, and so I do love all that stuff. And yeah, just this sort of like... Uh, and then, of course, the last moment of the hat on the clothesline. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, that was how the movie had to end, right? Is him yeah. grabbing the hat. <laughs> like, and, and I also like that that was the thing, too. Because people go like, well, this is the last Indiana Jones movie. She's going to die, right? It's like, well, number one, that's not the end of a story necessarily. That's, uh, that's not the only way a story has to end for a character. I don't know if anyone's ever heard this old yarn of, and he lived happily ever after. <laughs> and that's kind of what the thing is. I, that's what I like about the realism of this is like, and he's going to try to live happily ever after at the very yeah. least. And that's the message is like, try to find something. And he's found, he's found a, a, a surrogate daughter in Helena and he does have friends like Sala and he does love Marion and, and there's something there. Uh, it's great. I just think, like I said, I, I, I'm, that, that's how I would want Indiana Jones to start in. There, I never felt during the movie he was going to die because I just it was just sort of a thing where you just go like, thematically, that wouldn't make any sense. That's not the story that's being told here. Once we got back into the past, I kind of saw it going in two directions. One is he comes back and we have like a ride off into the sunset moment like we kind of do in this film. The other is he has his ride off into the sunset moment, but the sunset is... <laughs> 200 bc um where he rides off into the sunset and we cut to the future and helena right. finds some record of indiana jones living in the past you could I mean, and and that was something that could have been done and i did hear rumors about the idea of this like oh he's got to go back i did hear a pitch where somebody goes no he goes back to world war ii and then he just relives the movies again or something and... like that he goes back to it's like that's no 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 because the whole point is you can't live in the past it's it's the movie is much smart <laughs> i'll just say this as is often the case the actual movie is much smarter and more clever than most of the fan pitches i heard sure for ways this could happen. it's a reason why uh, being a fan quote unquote and whatever that means doesn't mean you should be writing 
things, like the things that you're a fan of. Because you don't necessarily just being just because you love something doesn't mean you're like intrinsically knowing what's right for the franchise. I know certain a lot of people feel they do. Yeah, look, I spent enough time with Star Wars YouTube to tell I you. I literally some stuff. just saw somebody pitching. You know what Star Wars needs to do? They need to get to forget the brain trust of writers. They need to get all the top Star Wars YouTubers in a room and have them figure out. And I was just like, that would be the single worst thing. And also, I would be like, they would never be able to agree on anything, I don't think. There'd be so much infighting about lore and stuff that you just... It's the thing yeah. uh, people got bent out of shape because Nate Moore said the, who's one of the Marvel producers, said the thing about like sometimes when people come to us and say they want to write one of our movies and talk about what a big fans they are, that can sometimes be a red flag. People go like, Marvels want to hire fans. It's like, no, I kind of get what he's saying. When it's like, hey, well, in the comics, this happens, so this has to happen. There is a certain level of slavish devotion to properties that can be detrimental to telling good stories because all you have is, like I said earlier, the platonic ideal of what you think the story is. And it's really hard to express what emotions you're feeling through character dialogue. And that is a skill and that it's not a skill that everyone has. I'm not even claiming to have it. Right. Being able to express the continuation of a story and being able to tell a good story that isn't just a static recreation of what you think the best bits of a thing are is really hard. Incredibly hard. And that's that's the thing I think I said. That's why I love Mangold talking about that. You do have to... You have to put aside the iconography. Of yeah. course, you can't forget it. You need to embrace him. You can, but you have to go, who is this guy? What is the story I want to tell about this human being named Indiana Jones? Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I think that, that's the key to where so many of these have gone right or wrong. And, I mean, we referenced The Last Jedi earlier in terms of, like, the quintessential divisive moment in Star Wars fandom. And it is that to a certain extent, because Ryan Johnson yeah. made a decision that he was trying to tell a specific story about Luke Skywalker, and that story isn't what people have had in their heads because of novels and comic books for 20-plus years. And because it wasn't that, there was a vitriolic reaction to if it. Your issues with Last Jedi involve saying the name Mara Jade. Yeah. I don't want to have a conversation with you about it because it's just that's not and, that, and that, not that not that you can't be disappointed that they never included Mara Jade but it's just like that's neither here nor there for the quality of that movie because yeah. a thing you like and a thing that doesn't exist within that continuity isn't there right that's not Ryan John's fault and also I you know I'm I'm the biggest defender of Last Jedi I think there's an objective argument that it's the best Star Wars movie Put I think it it's the there, best right? of the sequels yeah Oh, it's definitely the best of the sequels. But, like, it's in the running. I just think that's such an amazing movie that, unfortunately, I can't enjoy because the next movie completely decimated. Sure, it retroactively makes that whole trilogy worse. Yeah. Uh, so, that that's, that's it's it's a bummer. So uh, but I do when you have something like Indiana Jones, though, that, A, has less of a, like, broad-spanning web of uh, other stuff to pull from, it can like the, have a more definitive, specific well, ending more, to it. 
it's also more inherently episodic, right? It is sort yeah. of the adventures of Indiana Jones. It's kind of it's contingent on this movie to actually kind of grab the whole thing in a net, right? Like sort of mm-hmm. thing where it's like, all right, let's sum up what these movies. It's very much what Chris McQuarrie's doing on the Mission Impossible movies. Now that because for the longest time, Mission Impossible was a different director every movie, and so it's sort of like each person's take on it. Now that they have a singular filmmaker, he's actually going back to all the original movies and going, all right, if I'm looking at this as the story of a man's life, what are the threads I'm pulling on? How do? And I think this particularly, Dead Reckoning, when people are, are when, you, when you go out and see it, and you should see it because it's amazing. Everybody go see it. Uh, it is the most in depth about who is Ethan Hunt, what does he want, where did he come from? Uh it really digs into like what is this guy, what drives him. Uh and I, I think it's 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 exceptionally good. But I think that that is certainly something we think about more now in filmmaking in general. So when we go back to these franchises, yeah, they're kind of asking more than it used to be. Look at the James Bond franchise, right? It used to just be James Bond showed up. He was awesome. He kicked a bunch of ass, and then he left and got on the next movie. It's not until the Daniel Craig movies they start going, like, hey, what's this guy's deal? And, like, how does he feel about stuff? Right. I think we and just want more out of characters now. There's also something to be said for having that platonic singular adventure, though, and especially where James Bond is concerned, that franchise, like you said, didn't want maybe didn't not necessarily didn't want, but like wasn't bothered with grappling with those questions. And is it the modern audience that necessarily quote unquote wants that? Or is it something that modern writers feel more compelled to do because it is a more traditional at this point way of telling stories across multiple serialized films? I think what people want, I, the sense I get is 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 it's a bit it's a bit of column A column B right because I mm. think something uh, something I absolutely adore is Star Trek Strange New Worlds yeah. which is doing very classic single adventures of Star Trek but the accumulation of them matters to the characters you actually feel the characters are changing along with each adventure even if it's a singular individual adventure I think that's the sense. Uh, things are less disposable than they used to be. So it's yeah. sort of like people want to be rewarded for following things going forward. It's very hard to make something, and people are very quick to go, hey, why isn't that mattering that they did that thing last week? I think that's a very good point. I think the the, the idea that things are less disposable is exactly, you're hitting the nail on the head. And Strange New Worlds, I think, is one of the best examples of the idea of like everything matters, but we can still have a single yeah. adventure in which... Spock and Tapring swap bodies for an episode and have a good time. Man, Absolutely. This, last week's episode of Strange New Worlds. I, I don't want to get too off track, but holy shit, <laughs> that episode was good. Um, the, the 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 forget where we forgot on the planet. Yeah, it was just like a good yeah. like one off, totally like singular adventure. But it was such a classic Star Trek. Just like let's it solve a problem a on a world. Solve a problem on a world, but also in that modern sense. It was a really good story for Pike and Ortegas. And, you know, I mean, like, that's the thing is I actually felt like characters. And so I think that show is showing what I love where it's like, yes, I love that episode and that episode story. But but they're also doing the next step is like, and how does that adventure affect Christopher Pike as a person? And you can do it's possible to do both. Right. Um, Well, I mean, perfect example is the episode the prior week with the time travel stuff with yeah. Lon and Kirk was just oh so oh, good. good. Oh man, Christina Chong. 
as Lon is absolutely amazing on that. I mean, that whole cast is just incredible. If you're not watching Star Trek Station Worlds, I get it. People don't want to get Paramount Plus. I can't really make a good argument for having it. Uh, other, other than, than Star I Trek. Have to. <laughs> yeah, Star Trek is kind of the reason I have to have it. They're so, going to keep me on that as long as it exists because it's now the only place to watch any of the shows uh, thanks to them taking it off of everywhere else. So, uh, But yeah, that show's amazing. So uh, I, one thing I want to touch on briefly, and we, 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 we don't want to talk about it too much, but we did talk about uh, this movie's uh, box office performance is a fascinating thing because I keep seeing mm. people yelling about, oh man, what a disaster. What a huge flop. And I think it continues, we're constantly talking about the film business on this show. Uh, and it starts to, it starts to get into this whole idea of like, what the hell is a flop? I don't know what a flop is anymore. I really don't. It's because this movie made by all, by so many other things, like, a good amount of money except it didn't when you compare it to what it cost and what others made it's a weird thing we live in a strange age of metrics right where the metric for what constitutes a successful film has changed so radically in the last 10 years that it's really hard to determine what a success and a failure even mean anymore outside of some very basic comparative maths that you, I guess, is all you really have to go on most of the time. But uh -huh. at the same time, you have these huge mega franchises owned by Disney and other large corporations. The what other large corporation is there at this point? Um, <laughs> yeah. That they can pump. Oh, what did this movie cost? $250 million? Uh Yeah, they're about. And obviously, like, that doesn't account for marketing or... And those numbers are always it, deflated a little bit, it, depending on how it, they spend their money. It's probably 400 all in. Yeah. And so, if it doesn't make a billion dollars, it's a failure yeah. as a film, right? That's According to some the, people. Right, yes. By by the, the... If you're going, like, pure money, you know... It cost this, it made this, it's... But if it breaks even, it's still seen mm -hmm. as a failure. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. If it even, if it only, like, doubles its budget, it's still a failure. Correct. If it isn't Avengers Endgame, it's a failure. Right. Uh, you can have a film be the third highest grossing film of the year and still be considered, quote-unquote, a failure by open, certain people's metrics. There's a really good AV Club article about, like, how is this movie a flop? And one of the things was it opened $50 million more than the movie in the second slot. It, it made $60 million domestic opening weekend, and the next movie, number two, uh, which uh, I think might have been Spider-Verse, I can't remember, made ten. So they're just talking about, like, so that means... Of all the people going to the movies that weekend, the vast majority saw Indiana Jones. And it leads me to this whole thing where it's like, clearly, there's something about going to the movies, right? There's clearly something about the business of theaters. We're not talking about movies anymore. Very similar thing happened with The Flash, too. This movie's making almost the exact same amount of money as The Flash. Another yeah. movie that's 
horrendous bomb, even though it dominated when it came out, right? And, and when we prob- say horrendous bomb, we're saying that in air quotes in terms of like how people are reporting it, I think. Yes, that, yes that's exactly it. That's exactly the, the thing about it. Because uh, all the headlines I see about like box yeah. office bomb, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, 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 literally there's, a, there's an article that just came out today calling it The Flash is the worst box office flop in superhero history. You're like, is that true? Uh, and maybe it is. But like, yeah. traditionally, when we say a flop or a bomb, what we're talking about is a movie that can't even make its budget back in terms of its right. gross, either domestically or internationally. And yeah. the the biggest tentpole example of that that I can think of off the top of my head, even though it hurts me to say it, is John Carter, right? A movie that cost yeah. about the same as this film and never made its budget back. Not even close. That that just that was met with a severe uh, indifference from movie audiences, is what I would say. Not vitriol, it's just people didn't seem to want to go. Right, exactly. Whereas this movie, uh, like, how much has it made in the box office as of this recording? Uh, as of this recording, I'm clicking on it right now. Uh, so was that two weeks of release? Yeah, right. uh, a little under 250 million worldwide. Okay, so let's say it has another three to six weeks of a box office run in terms of how long it's yeah. in theaters for. I think that's probably yeah. a generous estimate. Is somewhere in there? Yeah, yeah. In that time, it has a pretty decent runway. There's not a lot of other big, like, tentpole action films that might get in its way other than uh, Mission Impossible. So, like, is Mission Impossible just going to completely decimate Indiana Jones? Or is the love of this franchise of Indiana Jones and the willingness of people to go out and go see this movie over, say, a Mission Impossible, will that continue it in a way that it will eventually eke its budget back out? Because as of right now, it hasn't really made its budget back. No, I mean, a Mission Impossible is set to make opening weekend what this movie has made in two weeks. Um you know, the, 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 as of tracking, you know, who knows, sure. but they're looking at 200 tracking over. is like pre-sale on tickets and like people it's, who say on surveys that they're excited trend. to go see the movie. Yeah. It's looking at trends. It's looking at, uh, how many seats have already been bought, how many people are talking about it and doing a lot of, if this trend continues, then this, right. and it can go up or down. Uh, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's a weird thing now. I mean, that is the crazy thing now too, is also with the tracking and predictions. Like I was already hearing Indiana Jones was a flop a month before it came out. It was already the story just cause tracking's bad. It's over. The movie's not even out for another three weeks and it's already dead in the water. And that sort of reporting can like be a, a vicious cycle, right? Like you get a bunch yeah. of reporting that the movie's not doing well people hear that assume that it's bad and then don't go then don't go see the movie well and the other weird thing about this of course is they premiered this movie at the Cannes film festival that is and there was a lot of vitriol from the critics at the Cannes film festival and the movie gained almost 20 percent rotten tomatoes once just the regular critics saw it not just the Cannes crowd and suddenly the story about it shifted to, I heard like, oh God, what a disappointment to, all of a sudden I started to see more and more, hey, it's pretty good. And I think that was a mistake, like releasing a movie like this at Cannes, like that's the wrong yeah. audience. That's like indie film, small drama and comedy stuff. Yeah. And this is a big bombastic throwback. Like, why would you premiere this at Cannes? 
Yeah, and it's interesting because then most most like American critics like what I what I always go to Rotten Tomatoes and I click on top critics is mm-hmm. that does as much as possible to filter out just the noise because these are people who actually have to be like in recognized publications implying they are professional critics that people have hired to talk about movies sure. and most of those people have pretty nice things to say about it to at least even like there's not a lot I mean there's you know you've got a couple guys always but like generally there seems to be a favorable and also the like I mean take what you will I always take with a massive grain of salt the audience score because we know that can be affected sure. but you know 88% audience score for a, a movie like this that's pretty good for that and it's also got a I think an A minus cinema score, which is just from the the tabulation like surveys that you when you come out of the theater opening weekend. Sure. Which once again, it's always hard. It's always trying to put metrics to do people enjoy a movie, which is always a tough thing. So subjective. But it's all we have. So yeah, it's, it's all we have. It's all we have. But it's sort of like it's just sort of meant to be like, are most people going? Eh, you know, kind of. So you know, generally, and most people I talk to seem to basically like it. I haven't actually talked to anyone in person who was just like no terrible yeah no me neither and like i've had some conversations with some of our mutuals and people online and like you say like a lot of the early buzz was like oh why would they keep doing this and then once actual like i'm not gonna say mainstream critics but critics that i go to critics that like i follow on youtube or read their stuff on like ign or polygon or whatever that is the professional critics who are going to every movie that comes out every weekend who are Versed in what is coming out in film is kind of the thing. And, and there's no one voice I trust who has the authority no. on movies because that's not how opinions work. No, certainly not. But like, uh, uh, I'll shout him out because I think he's one of the few really good critics is David Sims, who, who's on the aforementioned Blank Check podcast. And he writes for The Atlantic. I disagree with some of his opinions about stuff, but he really liked this movie. And generally, he's a guy who I, I respect his opinion, even if I disagree with. And I thought he had a really good write-up about this movie. Right. Uh, whereas, like, you get some opinions on, like, IGN, the review for this movie right now, gives it a 4 out of 10. Um, and that's okay. uh, Sedant Adlaka. But he's comparing it to, like, trying to recap... Like, is this an attempt to try to recapture Spielberg's magic? And, and I think that's... that's Like I said, that's kind of where I start to... The critics that are saying that usually don't like it. And it's like, and Mangold even said this. Mangold is said, "I'm running for third best because right. my dream is to be the third best." And and I think, he, in my opinion, he succeeded in that. That's exactly where I rank this. But I also, once again, don't have the love of Temple of Doom sure. that other people have. Um, but I put this right after Last Crusade and Raiders. I really think, at the very least, I think he succeeded in what he's trying to do, which is this stands with them. This does not feel yeah. like, oh man, what was that one? I I think that's more my reaction to Crystal Skull than this movie any day of the week. And I think I think that would be th- there's a conversation to be had about that. I still think Crystal Skull is not nearly as bad as as people say it is, but I do think that one I think it's interesting. I th- I think of this now as the opposite of the Star Trek franchise and the odd ones are the good mm. ones. Because I think both Temple of Doom and Crystal Skull are the two where some real cracks show in like just in terms of like 
they don't quite know what they're doing. Spielberg and Lucas aren't on the same page. Temple of Doom was really hurt by the fact that Harrison Ford badly injured his back, so he's not in the movie a lot. <laughs> like a lot of most of the fight scenes in that movie are a stunt double. Mm-hmm. So there's 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 a lot of things that went into it, and Spielberg even has kind of I don't know that he's disowned Temple of Doom, but he's like, boy, that one got away from me. Mistakes were made. Yeah, and it's like he, both he and Lucas were getting divorced, but, and they talk about like so all of a sudden things got way dark. You know, but to each their own. I know there are people who love that movie. All of this is to say is that, like, reviews are people's opinions. Any review is being written by a person, and a person reacts to art in different ways because art is subjective, right? So, all of the gestalt ratings that we come up with are an attempt to aggregate all of those random opinions into something that a broad audience can look at casually and go like okay the vast majority thumbs up or the vast majority thumbs down and that has now like steered the course of media discussion to the point where you can have something be a 65% on Rotten Tomatoes and suddenly 65% is a D which means it's bad right? Even if that yes. is like the, the majority of people saying, yeah, it's good. <laughs> I, yeah, that's, I have to say, and I've brought this up before, I really have a problem, not with Rotten Tomatoes as a site, but the the like worshipping of those numbers, or the yeah. impact, impact people put on those numbers is, just, yes, it's a percent. People do talk about it. that movie's better than a 65%. It's like, no, that's not, that's not a, it's just aggregating. That just means... 65% of reviews say it's positive. But the problem I have with that then is, what's a positive review? Because sometimes I read yeah. a review, this list is rotten, and I go, well, they seem to say it was okay still. And sometimes I read a review, this list is fresh, and go, this guy seems to hate the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bizarre, because once again, you're trying to put an aggregate now to an opinion of good or bad. And I, I'm in the opinion of, uh, uh, shout out to fellow YouTuber Patrick H. Willems, who I love. Mm. Uh, uh, he did a great video called In Celebration of OK Movies. Because he goes, <laughs> most movies are just fine. Like, <laughs> and Most of the time when I see a movie, I go, ah, That's honestly where I land on this movie. It's like, I thought it was good. I, is it a masterpiece? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I think it's got issues. I think, like, we've, I've discussed my a- nitpicks with it. Well, it's not Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, but, you know, I mean, not what what uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2. That's the movie that can be. Well, I will say, I, 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 do, I, I, I did come out of it going, I can't say it's the best one, because it is technically only half a story. Though I will say, of the, of the two part, of the first part, like, cliffhangers, mm-hmm. it is the most complete movie I've seen this summer. Okay. Uh, it... There is an ending. It's closer to an Empire Strikes Back cliffhanger than it is to Fast X or Mm Spider-Verse. It really does feel like this part of the story is over, but the ongoing thing is continuing. Sure. Uh, Whereas Fast X is literally join us next time to be continued. Like the movie just... Same with Spider-Verse. Right. Those are both like... This one is like... Ah, we've won this battle, but the war continues kind of ending. Uh, although it is the first one I've seen actually put up at the end of the movie, end part one. Mm. But all of this uh, is to so say you- that like all of these aggregate scores and the ways we view media criticism contribute to 
this tendency, especially, especially in the post-pandemic era, where people will casually see a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes and say, I don't need to go out into the theaters to see that. And I think that's a big thing, too, when we're seeing, because there's a whole thing about, you know, there's been a run of these movies. We talked about Dungeons and Dragons, which uh, uh, financially did not do very well. Neither has The Flash or this or a bunch of like big tentpole movies. And people are going, what's happening? What is going on? And the answer is, I think there's there's too many big movies coming out end to end to end. I think that's a big problem. Like every weekend, there's some new big thing. And two, because I think because of the pandemic, people are like, ah, we'll skip this one. We won't go to Indiana Jones because we're going to go to Mission Impossible. I think there are people going, I only am going to put myself out there in the theater a couple times a month or once a month. And so I'm going to go to this one, not that one. And so that's just going to lead to that. It's like there's nothing wrong with movies. People act like movies are broken. I've read these think pieces about people don't like movies anymore. It's like... No, I just think people don't want to go to the theater. I think that's another thing, too, that will be like so many people will watch this movie when it's on Disney+. And is that a metric yeah. of success? I, you know, it's one of the interesting things somebody talked about is since this movie has come out, the viewing numbers for the original four movies on Disney+, Plus have skyrocketed, implying that this movie has at the very least reintroduced interest in the character. And who knows what merch sales are, too? I mean, certainly I, I alone am giving Disney a lot of money. Uh, but you know, it, 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 it's an interesting. Like I said, it's it, what a success of a movie is uh, goes beyond what its box office is now. Movies uh, have such long lives. Six years ago, half the streaming services we use today didn't exist. That is crazy to think about, right? Right, like Disney yeah. Plus did not exist. Uh, no. HBO Max did not really exist. No. Um, <laughs> Uh, Netflix. Wait, wait, wait. Honey, what was the first part of that? I only know of a service called Max. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the, the idea that all of those streaming services are now a place where that is where the movies, the big tentpole movies, the Marvels, the uh, Lucasfilms, they're all going to end up on there anyway. We know that. Yeah. All of these movies are just going to come to our house. Six years ago, that didn't, that wasn't the case. There was I mean, no guarantee about... that a Disney movie was going to end up on a streaming service anywhere. No, I just saw the thing about the Peacock announced, uh, was it uh, at the beginning of uh, first week in August, the Super Mario Brothers movie will be on Peacock, you yeah. know, and uh, uh, the new Transformers movie is going to be on Paramount, you know, like they're all just going to go right to it. So I, I do have sort of that feeling too, where it's like, if I, I I am somebody who loves going to the movies, even though I hate people. Uh, but I love going to movies in the theater. I this is my big thing. I just wish other people wanted to go and 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 like movies. I don't know what is wrong with people. The we guy, need an Alamo okay, Draft I, House. I would I please Alamo Draft House. Come, there's one in Seattle. I do want to go to that at some point. Oh. Uh, Brendan and I actually talked about going up there because they were premiering the new subspecies movie, which we cover. <laughs> and Brendan and I seriously went like, should we take a road trip up there and see that new piece of shit? Uh, <laughs> they're well, because, terrible movies, and we but, actively but, hate but them. But, but we still thought about going to the that theater. Everyone to see it would premiere. be there to uh, see the premiere and nothing else. Right. Yeah. The 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 thing about but what I was gonna say is uh, this movie oh just a small anecdote from this movie literally 
sit down in this movie. I'm in, uh, uh, I go to Cinemark uh, because they have the really nice seats that mm. recline. Oh, so great. But okay, that's great. But people get a little too comfortable with that. Guy next to me kicks off his fucking shoes barefoot on the, and I'm just like, dude, come on. Like, you know, let's have some decorum here. I don't want to smell your fucking feet when I'm out yeah. of the theater. <laughs> yeah, and of course, then you also had the family with the gaggle of children, most under 10. And I'm not saying this movie's like inappropriate, but it is also long. Mm. And at a certain point, because they've got the reclining seats, now I got a kid to the right of me going, just moving the thing up and down because they're bored because he's talking about maps. <laughs> I mean, it is sort of that thing where I'm just like, for the love of just can we all? Uh, that was the nice thing actually about going to the Dead Reckoning. Uh, aside from just like jam packing people in there, and so you got you know so and so needs to move down the aisle with their massive amount of snacks. Uh, everybody was there because they loved the Mission Impossible movies. So I yeah. do I do often like going to those. That's why I like going to the Marvel screenings and stuff like that. For the most part, here well, I just I, saw this. It's on Fourth of July actually. That's why I really like those Fathom event rescreenings of films. Like all the Ghibli films are in theaters right now with the Fathom events. Yeah. Um, they've been doing a lot of Godzilla movies in the recent past that I've been enjoying the hell out of because everyone shows up to those knowing exactly what they want to do and that's see the movie. Yes, they're there. They're there specifically for the experience of this, not just let's go to a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to kind of seek out where they were showing Mission Impossible early and stuff like that. And so it's like uh, those those are often more fun. And people people also know the franchise, so they're applauding at stuff and laughing at stuff. Although still, there were a couple things. Once again, you heard three people laugh at that. There were a couple times of the Dead Reckoning screening where it was literally just me going, ah. oh. <laughs> and then I was going to stand and go, it was in the first movie! <laughs> right. I mean, nobody applauded for the return of uh, IMF director Eugene Kitteridge, uh, who hasn't been in the movie since the Henry's journey's back. Like, woo, Kitteridge! <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, so... All that to say is, as always, just make up your own minds. I don't that the the point of that is I don't like the narrative the n- narratives of these movies being written before most people have even seen them, and that was yeah. so much the the critics at can a lot of them didn't like it. Tracking looked bad, so this movie was a failure well before it even came out in theaters, and that's just stupid. I don't I care what the movie. That's dumb. Yeah. Uh, just go see movies, and if you like them, you know it's uh, it's it's if you like you like what you like. There are some movies I basically use critics. Uh, if I don't know, if I'm like I don't know about this movie, what are critics saying? But generally, if I want to see a movie, I just go see the movie, and I actually try to avoid the reviews of them now. Uh, a lot of the time, and I usually I do the same. Like before bigger films come out, I'll be like, eh, let's not for this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it just, like I said, because the other thing is I don't like, and that was the problem with this movie. They were unavoidable because it was everything. So that makes me sit there and go, even if I'm enjoying it, I have to sit there and start going, what do people not like about this? Yeah. What yeah. Are, I don't want that in my head. I don't want mm-hmm. other people's murmuring about the movie in my head. So, totally. uh, yeah. Well, uh, that those are our thoughts on Indiana Jones and Dial <laughs> Destiny and a bunch of other Among stuff. Other and, yeah. And who knows? There won't be a movie industry tomorrow. So, uh, <laughs> uh, next month on panel up, I think we've gone back and forth about, but I think we're going to do 
a review of two movies. I think this makes the most sense to do this. Uh, we're going to do the Barbenheimer review. <gasps> My favorite mashup since Animal Crossing and Doom, Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer. It is all the it is all the rage, and I think this is uh, this is it, it's it's well worth talking about. What what I think is actually seemingly at the moment seems to be a really good thing talking about the box office because people are are kind of getting into the cultural zeitgeist moment of I'm going to see both of these movies opening weekend. For those who don't know what we're talking about, because they're not as terminally online as us, we're, people we're, we're, are we're talk- talking about Barbie yeah. and Oppenheimer. Which are coming out the same day. Yeah. Uh, I believe is July 20th, uh, I think is, uh, I is think the day correct. that they come out. Uh, yeah, and so they're, they're going to go. And literally, I saw Tom Cruise promoting this movie going, oh shit, yeah, I'm going to Oppenheimer on Friday, I'm going to Barbie on Saturday. You know, because one of the one of the things that's really fun is, uh, and one of the things I really love about Tom Cruise, amongst many many things I love about the man, is his commitment to getting people back in the theaters. So he's going, sure. he's going. I'm going to go to this. You should go to this. And then you've got Greta Gerwig directed Barbie going. Well, I'm going to go to Oppenheimer and I'm going to go to Mission Impossible. And so you have all these filmmakers who are just loving the industry and the art form. It's not about fighting each other. It is just like we just want to get people in seats this summer. And, and help save this industry. Because Tom John, Cruise will stay in movie theaters. I think hmm. we'll do this off mic, but we have to decide. One of us has to go see Oppenheimer, then Barbie, and the other one has to see Barbie, then Oppenheimer, just okay. to compare notes about the experience. Right, yeah, well, which way works better. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the fun thing about it is they're two completely different films. Yes. Like, they couldn't be further apart. Uh, Oppenheimer, I have heard... Uh, the screenings they've done of it, people have left, quote, devastated. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it is three hours long. It is, uh, uh, but also the craziest thing, I was just watching a feature out about, there is no CGI in the movie at all. Because uh, Nolan is a fucking maniac and wanted to make the world's largest explosion without actually getting a nuclear bomb. He basically took it right to the edge of, of, of an actual nuke and, and made the Trinity bomb test happen wow. live in camera. It is insane what that guy has done. And so that is like, I just think it's so crazy to me to think that a three hour Oppenheimer movie is a summer blockbuster. Uh, <laughs> but I'm bad because I love Chris Nolan and I, I can't wait to see what he's done with this. I am going to go see it in 70 millimeter uh, as Nolan wants because that'll also be something we can compare. Sure. Uh, I'll probably end I'm up gonna... just seeing it in IMAX. No, that's also good too. I mean, he, his big thing is to you know. I, I, luckily, there is one theater here in Portland that is showing it in seventy yeah. millimeters. Uh, I'm going to go to that, but yeah, v- should be very curious. We'll compare and contrast. I'm excited for Barbie though. Barbie looks incredibly interesting. I, I'm a little worried about what that's going to lead to because I don't know if you saw the news about the A24 or the the attempt to do an A24 type movie with Barney now that Mattel is doing. Oh no. Yeah. There's yeah, going to be a whole right. reaction to these sorts of films that is just going to lead to a lot of In- crap. Introspective dramas based on childhood toys. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I need that in my life. Uh, but whatever. I mean, so long yeah. as the end point on this is a serious, dramatic, uh, sociological introspective film about Wishbone and his retelling of stories to kill children. That's where this needs to end. 
How did that dog read all those books? <laughs> what is the story, Wishbone? <laughs> so that'll be next month on the show. But of course, next week we'll be back to the 1970s. Uh, I think, is it this week that we're kicking off the first of the arc of the next ah, big arc? We're, we're entering the wheel. Yes. So we will, uh, we were, we're entering a big new era for Star Wars as they tread Let's not water. It. <laughs> <laughs> as they tread water before Empire Strikes Back comes out. Uh, yeah. So uh, make sure you, you continue to follow us there, like and subscribe on uh, your podcasting software. Make sure you like and comment below and hit that bell for notifications if you're watching on YouTube. If you saw Dial of Destiny, let us know down in the comments below. What do you think? Yeah, please. Uh, and of course, uh, you can get more content from uh, us and the entire Punch-Up Entertainment Network at our Podbean patron page. That's patron.podbean.com slash punchup. Uh, so head over there uh, for just a few bucks. You can uh, get all kinds of cool bonus material. Yes, and help indeed. us out. Hey, it uh, never if hurts. If you want to help fund John's road trip to go see the subspecies film up in Seattle, yeah. help us over there. <laughs> That was the thing where we said, let's not say anything on the show, because people will, if I ever say, like, hey, do we do a dumb thing? People will always say yes. Um, so it's like, let's not put that out to our listeners, because they will be like, do it! Uh, <laughs> uh, but that is going to do it for this month's episode of Panel Up. I've been John Campbell. And I will always be Mike Gergoni. Till next month, we're going to panel down. <laughs>